Right Place, Right Time A Sandman Podfic Written by Sherwood Fox And read by Literarian Summary Over the centuries, Hop had dreamt plenty of dreams about his friend from the tavern. All good dreams, of course. Very good dreams. Usually not dreams that featured either of them wearing very much clothing. But until the talking bird told him otherwise, he hadn't considered that those dreams might be real. Featuring a live jessamy, hop rescuing dream from the fishbowl, a mess to clean and a happy ending. Prologue As the years went by, Hop found himself thinking often of the morning after. After the first night, 1389, back when he hadn't even known that it was the first night. He remembered how he had woken in a stable, head pounding and stomach churning, the smell of animal dung and human sick on the air. Hardly an unusual place to wind up. Oh no, at the time he had thought nothing of it. The straw in his stall had tickled his nose, and the wind had pulled at the wooden walls, making them creak. The sunlight, where it brushed across his eyelids, had felt almost unbearably gentle in its warmth. Something like the kiss of a lover. Had he known something was different, even then? Had he felt the birth of it, somewhere low in the base of his spine? Or was that only hindsight, tainting the memory? Then meet me here in one hundred years. So much of human life was made by luck. He had asked himself a thousand times already, what if he hadn't gone out to the tavern that night? What if his friends hadn't prompted the conversation they'd had? What if they'd left an hour earlier, come an hour late? Would everything have been different? We'll see how you fare then. Part 1 The world was warm and soft about the edges, some place dark, lit only by the light of one flickering candle. Hop rolled his hips and felt a pleasure like melting wax, dripping down his spine and settling low in his belly. There was no urgency and no discomfort of any kind. All his limbs felt both present and weightless. Soft skin joined with his, as smooth and pale as ivory. Hop sighed into a collarbone that brushed gently against his lips. 
He had the passing sense that he lay between the branches of a birch tree, solid but soft to the touch. He could hear the wind murmuring through the leaves. But no, this wasn't a tree. This was him. Mm, there you are, love, Hop murmured, or maybe he said nothing at all. Maybe it was only a thought. He kissed the pale expanse of the white throat presented to him, rolled his hips again, felt that slow shock wave of deep pleasure. Fingertips, pleasantly cool to the touch, ran through his hair. He felt them spread out across his skull. He couldn't have said if it was the wind he heard this time, or a quiet little laugh. <laughs> what? Hop chuckled the word into a pale cheek. He had never felt so comfortable. <laughs> What's so funny? You would dream of this, Robert Gatling. Hop hummed and then kissed the shell of her white ear. His nose brushed against dark hair that tickled him there like a feather. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I would. What other answer was there? The times, they were a-changing. Not that they ever weren't. The immortal Hop Gatling had learned that much, with almost six centuries under his belt. The war was over. The worst war he had ever seen. And what was left in its wake was a kind of mad giddiness, a delirium that possessed the upper classes while the lower sank further, as always, into the dust. The war to end all wars, they said, as they downed glasses of pink champagne, but Hop had been alive for too long to believe that. Hop wondered if next time, for there would certainly be a next time, he should go to the United States, or better yet, Canada, somewhere cold and quiet and remote. He had spent so many years at war, he was sick enough of it, and the devices of these new ones, he did not think he could bear to watch that again. Besides, if he was going to move, now would be a good time. At the moment, Hop was in the flux. Another Robert Gatling recently buried, his finances scattered, his personal affairs to be reordered. It was just a matter of deciding how the next one was going to set up shop. He had done this task so many times now, and with each repeat he wondered how he could have forgotten how exciting it was and how exhausting a chore. But Hop had other things on his mind these days. Most notably, there was a bird. Hop was sure he had first seen it at the flea market off Drury Lane, perhaps two weeks ago now. 
It had caught his eye then, for it was an unusual sight. A raven with a white breast, like an oversized magpie. Unusual enough for him to take note, unusual enough for him to notice when it kept appearing, again and again. In the tree of a park as he walked through, overhead at the train station, outside the window of the little flat he was renting off Cheapside. Either London was seeing an epidemic of white-breasted ravens, or this one particular bird was... Was what? Following him? That seemed absurd. It was only a bird, after all. Yet still, Hop had the disquieting feeling that he was being watched, which was precisely the opposite of what he wanted, given his current state of affairs. Still, in the daylight, he told himself he was being superstitious. It was only a bird, only a coincidence. He would leave the country before long, and the matter would be a distant memory. At night, this assertion was harder to maintain. Something about it made him think of dreams he had dreamt centuries ago, decades ago, back when he had still dreamt. A nostalgia that felt almost paranoid. Just a bird, Hop thought, when he heard the scratching of a beak outside his window. Just a bird. The tavern was a mix of time periods, a haze of memory. In shape, judging by the ceiling, Hobbes supposed it not unlike its current form under Queen Elizabeth, but the chairs and tables were from older worlds. Laid upon them in heaps was food he hadn't eaten in decades, in centuries. The fireplace spun in the corner of his eye no matter where he turned his head, and though he could hear the wordless chatter of a crowd all around him, it seemed he was alone. Well, not completely alone. The stranger lay reclined on a fainting couch that had never been there in real life. Hop thought he recognized it from a home a few lifetimes ago. His lithe figure was wrapped in only a dark cloak, the fabric made more of shadows than anything else. His eyes were closed, their pale lids flickering back and forth, watching something Hop himself could not see. Hop knelt at his side and placed a hand against his cool forehead, as though checking for a fever. His knuckles skimmed down through that long mess of feathery hair, so soft it almost hurt. Eyes opened, blue and glassy, and Hop smiled. Again? He didn't sound irritated, more so surprised. Always, 
Hop told him, and when he leaned in to kiss, the stranger met him halfway, a cold palm rising to the stubble on his cheek. He was eager this time. Hop knew it with a little thrill that he felt all the way down to his groin, and his own fine clothes melted like so much butter in a pan as the cloak of shadows fell softly away. Then there was skin on skin, and all the world faded to what little the firelight could reach, and Hop thrust inside with a thought of the word home. It was almost midnight, Hop guessed, which made it early to bed for him. He wasn't nearly so drunk as he was capable of becoming, not needing to watch his feet in order to put them in the right places. It was nice being able to breathe the cold night air and look around himself without becoming sick. He should get into the habit of indulging a little less. Surely he'd learned that after nearly six centuries. This train of thought was derailed by the sound of wingbeats in the quiet overhead. He felt something hot prickle on the back of his neck, like a breath. Not this again. It could be anything, he reminded himself, any old crow or jay or sparrow. But when he looked up, he saw the white-breasted raven perched on a straight lamp overhead. He could see the glint of its beady black eyes. It was looking dead at him. Oh, for Christ's sake, Hob mumbled, and he began to walk a little faster, eyeing the raven as he went. It hopped from one lamp to the next, a flutter of wings and a scrabbling of claws, and when he veered off into the darkness of a nearby walking park, it pursued him there also. He felt his head instinctively, the collar of his jacket. Did he have something shiny on him? Did he smell of food? This was not normal behavior for a bird. He reached a bench, dark black wood wet from the mist, and the bird landed there. That was quite enough. All right, he said out loud, exasperation and paranoia driving him to words. I see you. What is it? Why are you following me? His hands waved out a little wildly on this last phrase. This was ridiculous. He felt silly, Punch drunk, he was shouting at a bird, a bird that couldn't possibly understand him and couldn't possibly be following him anyway. A bird that cocked its head at him, opened its beak and spoke. You are the immortal, Robert Gatling. For a moment, he didn't believe he'd heard it. He looked behind himself, then out through the shadows, looking for the young woman whose voice had seemed to emanate from the raven. But there was no one. He was alone in the park. 
alone save the talking bird. Bloody hell. You are, aren't you? Her voice sounded a little panicked now. Hop ran a hand across his hair and sighed. Whatever this was, madness or magic, he was committed to it now. Yes, I am. Hop Gatling, that is. Oh, good, said the bird, and she ruffled her wings. That's very good. I wasn't sure. You see, his majesty never... Um, Mentioned you, not to anyone, so no one was sure what you looked like. His majesty? But Lucien found your journals in the library. Who? My journals? I've never... Well, yes, well, the journals you would have written, all 533 volumes. 500 and... And they revealed the nature of your, um... Relationship with His Majesty, which is very good because you are here in the waking world and he needs your help. There was a pause. Hob had given up on interrupting. He looked at the bird, who looked back at him expectantly, and he felt another sigh bubble up in his chest. This was the strangest thing that had happened to him in a long time which was saying something, but he wasn't about to run screaming. Still, he took another self-conscious look around the park, and when he saw no one watching him strangely, he brushed some water drops from the bench and sat down. You'll have to help me out here, Hop said to the bird, who cocked her head attentively. A little more slowly, yeah? To start, who and what are you? My name is Jessamy, she answered promptly. I am one of His Majesty's ravens and his favourite. She said the latter part of this phrase with a certain modesty, fluttering her wings in a way that brought to mind a bashful shrug. All right. Nice to meet you, Jessamy. Hop made a vague handshaking gesture in her general direction, which felt foolish, but, well. And this majesty you keep talking about, what? Do you mean King George? Stranger things, Horatio. No, I mean Lord Morpheus, King of Dreams and Nightmares. And that was quite the weighted sentence, never mind that it came from the beak of a talking bird. Stranger things indeed. Okay, said Hob, and he looked up at the moon, a dim sphere refracted through the night smog. Morpheus. Hop had studied the classics. Oh, about 80 years ago now, it had been so strange a feeling looking farther back into history than he had ever been. So yes, he knew the name Morpheus, the Greek god of dreams, the fashioner. Not exactly a major character, not something he had paid any attention to at the time, and yet... 
And yet, something about it seemed to ring true. And Hop had lived almost six centuries on Earth with very few supernatural encounters, save one. A thrill ran down his spine. He felt suddenly as though he were standing on the edge of a precipice, at the door to a vault of long-lost treasure about to step inside. Would this Morpheus be about... He held a hand high over his head. Ye-high, black hair, uh, very pale... That would be a description of his majesty's physical manifestation, yes, said the raven, and Hop nodded. Helplessly, he felt a grin tugging at the corners of his mouth. That secretive bugger, he had a name at last. And then, slowly, the rest of what had been said began to sink in. You said that he needs... He needs my help. A note of incredulity that he couldn't hold back. But the bird fluttered her wings and hopped closer on the bench, beady avian eyes watching him with unmistakable earnestness. Let me explain, she said. And so he did. Hop kissed at the stranger's neck and ear with familiar ardour. He loved being touched there. Hop knew it, had known it for some time. There was a white tunic and nothing else to cover that fair figure, and Hop grasped at it, thinking it wouldn't take much to tear it off. But the stranger felt like stone under his wandering touches this time, oddly unyielding. When an earnest kiss to his mouth elicited little response, Hop pulled back to find his eyes open, but far away, the white lights at their centers distracted and flickering. Hey, sweetheart. Hop murmured, brushing a lock of black hair behind a white ear. Where are you? The eyes sparked to meet his, now sharply aware, and Hop felt a grin tugging at the corner of his mouth. Always a thrill, being with him, always so good it felt impossible... I don't have time for this, said the stranger, and his hand pushed lightly to the centre of Hop's chest. The world spun away in a swirl of colour and scent, and Hop came to himself in a wooden chair with a drink in his hand and raucous laughter in both ears. There was a weight in his lap, and it was a girl he had known once, her breasts bare and warm in his face. It wasn't a bad memory. Indeed, Hop knew it to be a good one, but even as his awareness melted into it, something felt sour. After all, this wasn't what he had wanted.
There was quite the crowd outside the manor of Roderick Burgess, which Hob observed as he tried to pull his automobile into the long drive. He was lucky, he supposed, he hadn't gotten around to selling the car just yet, although it was becoming an older model now, it still suggested status, and so did his dandy attire. That and a touch of mysterious charm he had figured would be enough to get into a party like this one, but perhaps he was wrong. The manor's great double doors, after all, were crowded with people. Young and old, men and women, all unmistakably wealthy. A whole horde of admirers and potential patrons here to seek an audience with the great and mighty Magus. Something in Hobbes' stomach churned. Imprisoned by a rogue visit, a glass cage with no air. Jessamy's explanation from a week ago echoed in his ears, each word a sour note. He could hear the voice of his friend, also that warning from so many decades past. You could still be hurt or captured. He hadn't asked the bird how long it had taken her to find him. How long Morpheus had been locked up, unable to breathe. He wasn't sure he wanted to know. But still, the name! Dire circumstances or not, it sparked something in him to be able to use the name. Hop moved his way through the chattering crowd by the entrance, the scent of alcohol on the air, of sweat, of money. The doors were manned by a pair of brutish-looking security guards, and he didn't doubt there were more within. He had always supposed himself charming, but he didn't think he would be getting in like this. Overhead, the fluttering of wings, a flash of a white breast. Jessamy landed in a treetop, cocked her head, and then flew around the side of the house. After checking to make sure no one was watching too closely, Hop slipped into the shadows and did the same. The manor was huge, comparable to Hop's own back when he had been a knight. There were many windows looking in on the party, so Hop had to duck his head as he went by, hoping no one had the presence of mind to look out. Eventually, he came to one that opened upon an empty, darkened room, and Hop supposed this chance was as good as any. Assuming that the merrymaking would disguise the noise, Hop found in the grass a decent-sized rock and lobbed it through the window. Crash! He winced. The latch was undone, and the rest of the window hiked open. Hop's feet had just landed on the plush carpet when he heard a voice from the corridor beyond. I think it came from your study, father, said a young man, 
and Hop launched himself behind one of another set of oak double doors with all the practice of a man who had spent decades as a thief. The electric lights came on, and he held his breath, sucked in his guts where the open door nearly brushed it. There was no way he wasn't going to be spotted. This was obscene, and at his side there was an ornate candlestick. Heavy arm. Hop lifted it in one sweating palm. The window, came the voice of an elderly man. Bugger it, someone's broken in. He sounded afraid, Hop thought. An aristocrat's fear of disturbance, Hop had both felt it and been it many times before. Probably just to get into the party, said the young man timidly. No, put the guards on high alert. I want them caught. Hop raised the candlestick, expecting the door to swing past his face at any moment, exposing him, but both pairs of footsteps were already moving away. In the lull, Jessamy flew through the broken window and landed, scrabbling on the desk. What next? Hop hissed at her, stepping out from behind the door with the candlestick raised. The entrance to the cellar is three doors down to the left, she said. Go, I'll distract the guards. Hop put the candlestick down and followed her running a palm through his hair to smooth it, straightening his fine jacket. There were lights in the corridor, echoing sounds of assorted conversation. High ceilings, rich tapestries, gilded paintings, but not of the subjects one might expect. Amidst the opulence of English upper-class living, there were stains of the occult. Something for the masses to ogle, but something with a touch of honesty as well. Hop walked as casually as he could manage down the corridor, and in a few wing beats, Jessamy was ahead. He heard a caw, and then a whoosh. A lady screamed. Watch out! It's that bloody bird again! Hop saw the door in question. The guard before it was walking into the next room with his baton raised. Hop could pick a lock, sure, but he couldn't say if he'd have enough time. His hand found the doorknob and it turned. Providence. Amidst the pandemonium of cawing, shrieking and burning tapestry, Hop vanished into the shadows of the stairwell. There was grass beneath Hop's bare back, or maybe it was moss. Either way, it was green and softer than any fine-spun silk or animal fur, so plush it seemed that with every roll of his lover's hips, he was in danger of being swallowed down into it, never to return. This was a sight to behold. 
The pale stranger rode him with verve, and it felt like being taken, helpless to it, there only for the pleasure of his partner. Hop's fingers found places to hold on in the divots of sharp hip bones, in those slim white thighs, but hold on was all he could do. He's beautiful, was his only thought, or at least the only thought that mattered. The grass was so green, and the sky above them so blue, and the stranger was so, so white, all these colours seeming to sing in a way Hop had never known them to do. The air smelled of an approaching spring rain, so sweet and fresh it must have come from another world, a world without all the decay and staining of the human earth. The stranger shuddered, his lips parting in some particular pleasure, and Hop took his hand and kissed the palm, the root of the thumb, the crown of blue-black veins at the end of a white wrist. Hop had thought he was a demon once, perhaps even the devil himself, but if that were so, then his beauty would be a lie, a trick, and Hop didn't think it was. His strange, inhuman loveliness could only be intrinsic. And here, in the sweet grass and under the impossibly blue sky, Hop thought he knew it, felt the truth come to him with a sudden, intense clarity. They must be in fairyland. Why not? With the way his life had gone, Hop would be a fool to shy away from a belief in magic. And then, as though his thoughts had summoned it, there came a change. From his partner's back, there suddenly unfurled gossamer petals, each as big as a man himself, like a flower blooming with the sunrise. A pair of ephemeral butterflies' wings, precisely the colour and shape of moonshine. Ha! I knew it, Hob said, and he felt a surge of tenderness. I know what you are. His companion turned to look at his wings, seemingly surprised himself to have found them there, and Hop used the lull to sit up in the embrace, to bring a hand to the soft black hair at the nape of that long neck. I doubt that, said the stranger, his beautiful fairy. But when Hop kissed him, he accepted it with no reservation, cool arms folded across Hop's shoulders, and his wings beat a gentle wind into the air around them, so Hop knew he was pleased. It seemed, in that moment, that it would take nothing for either of them to fly away. Hop closed the cellar door behind him, and silence fell in the same breath. The stairs beneath his feet were stone, 
damp and gritty, and the darkness extended to a point of light a good distance below. His breath felt clammy before his face. Perhaps he should have brought that candlestick. There was nothing for it. Hop made his way down the stairs at a rapid clop, not bothering to disguise his footsteps much. When he reached the bottom of the stairs, another man in a guard uniform stepped out, holding his baton loosely at his side. What's with the commotion up there, Jerry? Hey! Not Jerry, Hop said ruefully, and he snatched the baton from the other man's grip before his shock could dissipate and clobbered him soundly on the head. A hundred years as a soldier, give or take, and at least a hundred years more of living rough, Hop knew his way around a fight. The first guard dropped like a sack of bricks, and then there was a second running at him, and he hadn't raised his baton, but rather his gun, so Hop ducked with a yelp as the muzzle went off. A flash, a whir, and the stone cracked behind him. Get on the ground! The guard yelled thuggishly, despite the fact that Hop was nearly already there. From his bent position, Hop kicked out and was able to strike the second guard in the knees, which caused him to tumble with a cry, barely catching himself on the stone wall. Before the pistol could find aim in his head again, Hop took hold of the other man's wrist and yanked it to the side, unbalancing him once more. The gun went off again with another whiz and crack. The guard's thick hand found a fistful of Hop's nice dinner jacket, threatening to drag him to the floor, but at nearly the same time Hop's baton came down on the back of his skull and his eyes rolled up into his head as he joined his companion in the realm of the unconscious. Bloody hell, Hop said, breathless, and he patted himself down. Somehow expecting a wound, he did not like guns, and the better the guns got, the less he liked them. He did not think he was hurt, but his blood was surging, the fear thrill leaving a tremor in his fingers. How long until Jerry returned, if someone hadn't heard the scuffle already? Mindful of this, Hop turned to face the room, and as soon as he did, all thoughts of time fled from his head. The cellar, Jessamy had called it, but Hop thought this place much better suited the word dungeon. The walls and floor were all stone, and their dripping dampness came from, of all things, a moat, square and ugly and black-watered. And there, at its centre, lit by a light that seemed to come from nowhere, was the prison. Jessamy's description hadn't prepared him for this. 
Condensation did not gather on the tempered glass, but it did on the iron suspensions, giving the impression that the transparent globe was held in some monstrous, glistening hand. A snow globe, sealed in and ready to be shaken. There, crumpled at its base, lay something white, as fragile as a fallen feather. Hob hopped the moat and approached the glass, dread mounting in his stomach like acid. With the guards unconscious, the room was too silent. His own ragged breathing was practically thunder. The creature behind the glass made no sound at all. Morpheus lay on his back in the bottom of the sphere, Limbs folded askew like a victim in some Renaissance painting, graceful to the end. Hop found himself thinking helplessly of the old folk tales of princesses imprisoned in towers made of rose thorns, kidnapped and dormant. Hop hadn't expected him to be bare. The sight of all that silver-white skin should have shocked him more. He had never before seen the stranger without his robes. Not really. And yet... But he shouldn't think of that. It made no sense that he looked just how Hop had always seen him in dreams. His eyes were closed feather-black lashes casting blue shadows on his cheeks. Hop could not see him breathing. The feeling of dread in his gut only intensified. Hey, Hop whispered, his voice coming out soft without his intending it to. Hey, it's me. There was no reaction from the being in the cage, so Hop knelt, putting a hand to the glass by Morpheus's uncomfortably angled shoulder, as though to touch him there. Morpheus, it's me, Hop Gadling, your friend, remember? The eyes flicked open tiniest possible movement, black irises and white light pupils so faint they were nearly extinguished. Hop knocked on the glass with his knuckles, feeling foolish, desperate, anything to make those eyes meet his. Anything to be recognized. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here now. Morpheus's pale mouth twitched, and Hop thought he saw his own name in the shape of it, and it was absurd that he felt something like tears prickling his eyes as he grinned. Yeah, I know your name now, you cheeky bastard. Your bird told me. The wall of glass still separated them in a way that was unbearable. Morpheus's concave chest did not rise or fall. Hop had been drowned once for being a witch. He had been trapped underwater in a barrel for less than an hour, and that experience had destroyed him at the time. 
He still had a fear of small spaces, claustrophobic nightmares. How long had Morpheus been here? How long had he been alone? All right, Hop gathered himself, looking around, pressing his hands to the cool glass. What can I do? Is there a door? A, a key? How can I get you out of here? Morpheus' eyes flicked down towards the floor, a glance that seemed like a gesture, so Hop knelt to look. He hadn't seen it before, too entranced by the horror beauty that was the sight of Morpheus in his cage. But painted across the stone at his feet there were golden lines, sigils and runes, a circle around the base of the ball, Another fence. Is this magic? Hop asked, and he touched one of the marks. In the pad of his finger, he felt something spark, like static electricity. Magic, then, almost certainly. Morpheus's upper lip peeled back, bearing sharp white teeth in a snarl. Do I destroy it? A faint, nearly imperceptible nod. Hop immediately took his sleeve to the marks and began scrubbing, but the stuff was sticky, long dried in deep. He stood and scraped at it with his shoe instead, which made a little more progress, just fraying the edges now, Still, the lines were unbroken. With a hiss of frustration, Hop threw himself to his knees again, and this time he used the guard's baton, pressing the metal to the stone and scratching, the splitting sound of it echoing about the room and making his ears ache. But that did it. Where the circlet had been unbroken before, there was now a line cut clean through it, the yellow paint peeled away. Hop let out a half of a laugh and then repeated the gesture in another spot, then another. Stop this instant! Hop raised his head. In the wailing of metal on stone, he hadn't heard them coming down the stairs. A posse of three more guards, a scared-looking boy and an elderly man in an expensive magenta robe, one ringed hand held high and his eyes aflame. Surely, Hop thought, that must be the magus. More concerning, though, was the new set of guns pointed at Hop's head. Hop hesitated only a second more before dropping the baton with a clank and raising his hands in momentary surrender. And what manner of creature might you be? boomed Roderick Burgess, his voice trembling with fury. What promises has it made you in exchange for its freedom? No promises, said Hob, stepping carefully away from the glass, hands still raised. And I'm just a man. 
he wasn't sure how he was to get out of this one. Immortal or not, he did not fancy getting shot to pieces. Though he would if he had to. He was more afraid for Morpheus, whose limits he did not know. Morpheus, who looked fragile enough for a wrong wind to break him in that glass sphere. I doubt that, said Roderick Burgess through his teeth. Guards, search him. The men came forwards, all four of them, and Hob grit his teeth. Experienced or not, this wasn't a fight he was sure he could win. But wait, one of the guards had not come down the stairs with Burgess. Rather, he was among the two Hob had knocked unconscious, and his steps dragged on the floor where those of his companions were firm. In fact, his eyes were closed, his jaw sinking slack into his breast. Wait, what are you doing? The Magus had time to say only this, before the out-of-place guard raised his gun in loose arms and began to fire, once, twice, thrice, into the prison. Each time Hop flinched and the shell of the cage deafeningly cracked. And by the second shot, the other men had abandoned him in favour of restraining their wayward companion. And by the third, they were nearly on him. But before they could wrench the gun from his grasp, a fourth shot was fired, the last bullet the gun could host set free, ricocheting into space. And when this one found its target, the glass shattered. Right Place, Right Time A Sandman Podfic Written by Sherwood Fox And read by Literarian Part 2 There was the skin of some great beast beneath them, covered in smooth scales the size of dinner plates. A slate dragon, Hob guessed. From somewhere distant, there came the slow-spreading warmth of a crackling fire. The stranger was on his back, his wrists crossed loosely over his head, and it was a wonder that Hob had him, this marvellous creature, all to himself. Pale legs hooked about his hips, pulling him in and keeping him there. Oh my God, you feel so good. So good inside. 
His companion smiled ever so slightly, that imperious little smirk, and Hop kissed him with all the passion of a thunderstorm. Overcome by it. His tongue, like the rest of him, was faintly cool, and his mouth tasted of rain. How many centuries of this had gone by already? Hop knew every inch of the person beneath him, all the spots that made him quiver, all the ways he liked to be touched, and all the ways he didn't. The one constant in a world that was always turning over, always growing into something new. Yeah, I love you. I love you so much. Crystal blue eyes opened a little wider. What gall he had to look shocked! Hop laughed, his joy a free-flying thing in his chest, so huge and honest the only answer for it was to kiss him again. I'll see you soon, he thought, or perhaps he said it, who knew? I know I'll see you soon, when I'm awake again. There came a brilliant blue-white light and a wind that smelled like thunder and Hop thought he tasted the desert on his tongue. The entire room seemed to be vibrating and all the guards had thrown themselves wisely to the floor, faces hidden as though in supplication. The only man still standing was Roderick Burgess, his arms outstretched above his head, mouth open in a horrified cry that could not be heard over the eldritch voice that filled every space left in the air. Do you have any idea of the damage you've done? Hop looked up as best he could, still shielding his eyes from the scraps of broken glass the storm was whipping through the room, and he saw Morpheus rise, glowing to his feet in the remains of the cage. Arrogant, selfish little flea! Morpheus' eyes burnt brighter than Hop had ever seen them do before, a pair of perfect silver suns, and in them was a fury unlike any a human could ever muster. Thinking you could demand anything of one such as I. He took one step from the cage, then another, the graceful stalk of a predator animal. Hop could barely breathe for how the wild wind whipped the air from his lungs. I shall make your punishment a gift, as you wanted, the gift of eternal sleep. Still Hop watched, wrapped, 
dropped as Morpheus raised his left hand and the scent of burnished desert increased all the more until Hop was almost certain he'd choke on it until his mouth was too dry to speak, let alone scream. Where your mind will make play for my nightmares. He lifted his hand to his lips and blew, and something silver glimmered on the air. Then the pressure of the storm became too much, and sheet lightning flashed out, turning the entire world, for a fraction of an instant, to pure, blinding white. Then the light faded, and all that remained was the dark. Water fell around them in rivulets of silver and gold, gathering in a shallow pool at their feet. There was no sky, nor anything save the cool air and the countless tiny waterfalls, and a sleek grey cloud that seemed to encompass everything else. Hop was on his knees, and there should have been some dissonance, because he had never done this in real life, and because nothing about it seemed debasing in the slightest. All he felt was his own pleasure and a fond amusement, the sweetness of seeing his statuesque lover lose himself so completely. How's that? Hop asked, licking his lips, and he grinned when the other man groaned at the separation, long fingers tangling in his brown hair. Oh. And surely it was something to be proud of, pulling his own name in such ecstasy from that white mouth. All right, all right, love, I've got you. Hop blinked his eyes to clear them from the after-impression of the flash. The storm had stopped, the dungeon fallen silent. Hop groaned and tried to stand, putting one hand on the damp iron of the prison at his side. Under his shoes the stone crunched with broken glass. The guards were all on the floor, prone, their limbs slack, and so was Roderick Burgess, his velvet robe in disarray, the master puppeteer with his own strings snipped. And then there was Morpheus. He stood stock still, expressionless, his hands still raised, fingers folded slightly, as though he had just let go of something. Hob opened his mouth to speak, to call out to him, perhaps, and Morpheus wavered, suddenly unbalanced, and Hob's own body was moving in response before his conscious mind even realized what was about to happen. Morpheus tipped over sideways, and Hob caught him, 
gathering that frail figure in his arms before bare skin could find the broken glass. He weighed nearly nothing, as though he were a doll, all hollow porcelain inside. Hop was almost afraid to hold him too tightly, lest the force of his human hands crush something. Bend a feather out of shape on one of those broken wings. Okay, okay, Hop said, and Morpheus' head came to rest on his shoulder, the feathery hair brushing against his neck and cheek. I've got you. Morpheus didn't say anything, but Hop could feel the chill in him, for it leached like metal right through Hop's clothes. There came a strong desire to stay here, to hold him, just to hold him until he warmed. But we need to get out of here, Hop murmured, and he began to lift Morpheus as gently as he could, unsure of whether his companion could take his own weight. There'll be others coming soon enough, I expect. Morpheus stood on shaky legs, most of him still held up by Hob, silent. Hob dared look across at him and found those pale blue eyes very wide. He was breathing now, fast and shallow, so high in his chest each gasp was nearly invisible. There won't be. He whispered. Still, he acquiesced. Hop helped him across the stone, wincing every time a bare foot came down close to the broken glass, and when they reached the moat, Hop lifted him over with hands on his waist. Morpheus didn't seem to feel any of Hop's urgency, picking his way through the prone and breathing bodies of the guards with an expression of vague distaste. He did not look at the fallen magus and cocked his head only once at the boy Hob had forgotten, who lay with his eyes closed against the stairs. Are they just sleeping? Hob asked, which was probably a foolish question. Yes. Morpheus murmured, and something in his voice was dark, almost malevolent. Sleeping. He wavered again, and his hand closed over Hobbs, ice cold and clutching, trying to hold himself up with trembling muscles. They had reached the base of the long stone stairs, and Morpheus looked up them with an expression unmistakable for trepidation. Without thinking, Hob scooped him up into an embrace, one arm under his thighs and the other steadying him at the waist. Morpheus made a tiny, surprised noise Hob was certain he'd never heard before, and cold hands settled at his shoulder, in his hair. Just duck, love, Hob said to him. I've got you. 
It was only about halfway up the stairs that Hop's conscious mind caught up to the events and he realized what he had said, what he was doing. The last time they had met, Morpheus had bloody well scolded him for insinuating that they were friends, never mind whatever this suggested. But the expected reproach did not come. Hop could only hear his companion's shallow, pained breathing, only feel the tremor running through all his hollow limbs. The grip Morpheus had on his hair was as weak as a kitten's. There were far more important things to worry about than his breach of etiquette. At the top of the stairs, Hop paused in the open doorway, listening for footsteps in the corridor, for shouts, but the manor seemed to have fallen silent, eerily so. All Hop could hear was the distant singing of a gramophone, still playing some tinny dance record. The party couldn't be over, could it? Just minutes ago, though it felt like hours now, it had been in full swing. There was a pile of discarded coats on a nearby couch, and Hop deposited Morpheus gently there, picking through for one that looked warm. Morpheus could barely stand, braced half on the back of the couch and half on Hop's arm, looking vaguely about the room with clouded eyes. Hop chose a long, russet fur coat, probably belonging to an old dame, and wrapped the surprisingly docile god in it, doing up a few jewelled buttons to protect his modesty. Not that that was the biggest concern at the moment. Hop was becoming increasingly alarmed by Morpheus's silence, by the way his head lolled as though his neck hadn't the strength to hold it up. Water droplets gathered on his forehead and upper lip. Something like sweat, but probably more like condensation. Like rain on a window pane. Hop gently lay the back of his hand to Morpheus' forehead. And the cold there burned so shockingly he had to withdraw almost at once. A fever that froze. Are you all right? Hop murmured. Hey, hey, are you still with me? Too much. Morpheus' lips were dry, and he blinked once, so slowly Hop wasn't sure if his eyes were going to open again. Without my tools, too far, cursing them all. Hop saw something shift in the corner of his eye, the tiniest movement. When he turned to look, he felt a shock, for suddenly he realized that they were not alone in the house, as he had assumed. There was a woman lying on the couch beneath the coats, young and blonde, her breathing slow and her eyes flickering behind their lids. 
she wasn't the only one. Now that Hop looked, he saw them everywhere. A fat man sprawled out on the floor, a young couple slumped against the wall, an elderly dame in a chair with her cheek pressed to the table. All the party-goers, asleep, struck down where they stood. An enchanted castle, the revenge of sleeping beauty. There came the sound of fluttering wings. He looked up in time to see Jessamie fly down from the rafters, an excited caw in her throat. Your Majesty! She landed on Morpheus' shoulder and pressed herself into the crook of his neck, beak plucking at his hair. You're free! Jessamie, Morpheus whispered, the soft edges of his mouth turning up into a smile. Yes. Hop saw it coming before it happened. The tenuous balance Morpheus had struck with the couch gave way as his knees buckled, not strong enough to hold himself upright even with assistance anymore. Hop lunged forward and caught him with a swear, mind suddenly full of images of things shattering, porcelain and glass and bones. In his arms this time, Morpheus seemed even less present than before. Suddenly there was more to the damn fur coat than there was to him. The white of his skin was nearly transparent like parchment with a few too many layers peeled away. You need a doctor, Hop said helplessly. Or something. No human doctor could help him, said Jessamie, adjusting her wings nervously. I must return to the dreaming. Morpheus's voice was hardly more than a sigh in Hop's ear, and worse, what he said Hop wasn't able to understand. No, your majesty, said Jessamie, answering what Hop couldn't. If you are like this, the trip might be too much for you. Something in Morpheus's face darkened, the very faintest of far-off thunderclouds. Of course, he didn't like being told no. Your Majesty, please! And it must have spoken to their relationship, or at least to the depths of Morpheus's illness, for at that the venom retreated. The shadows pulled back behind his eyes. Morpheus extended one pale hand and Jessamie hopped over to Nazalet, a gesture unmistakable for that of a vassal bestowing their king a kiss of fealty. Go to Lucien, Morpheus commanded. Prepare my kingdom. Tell her what is become of me. Jessamie did not protest this time. Rather, she bowed and took flight without another word. 
Hop heard her wings beat as she flew up into the rafters, and then, with a soft gust of wind, she was gone. Escaped through an open window, perhaps, or more likely, a shadow. Hobgadling. Cold hands found and framed his face, the icy pads of Morpheus's thumbs following the path of his cheekbones. Take me away from here. Another imperial command. Well, it wasn't like he wouldn't obey. Hop could tell the space around him was cavernous, and something about it reminded him of a church, or if not that, then a throne room. The light was all a jewel, rays in every colour Hop could name, and a good few he couldn't, stained by the glass of windows so tall he couldn't see the tops of them. The steps upon which they sat might have been hard, but nothing was ever uncomfortable like this. Not really. After all, Hop knew he was dreaming. I'm sorry I upset you, Hop whispered to the ear of his pale companion, and he kissed him there, sucked once at the lobe, just enough to summon a sweet shiver. Last time, I didn't mean to. Hmm. The whisper of a bite against that pale throat, a press of lips to the exposed blue-black jugular. Forgive me. Hop could feel the ragged pulse of his companion's pleasure, could see it in the faint haze of his eyes. Perhaps, if you keep doing that. Hop laughed against him and did as requested, and when his hand found its way down between the knees of the other man, he was rewarded with the faintest noise of surprise. And helplessly, he laughed again. <laughs> You're sweeter here, like this. Impudent. I am not. Yes, you are. The stone beneath them seemed to have melted somewhere along the way, and now it was a bed, black silk sheets and a canopy made of spider webs. but Hop was too busy kissing to mind the difference. When his companion broke away, it was with a strange look, Curious and almost wary, and Hop thought he saw foreign stars where his pupils should have been. Have you forgiven me yet for my impudence? He almost smiled, the stranger, and he rolled his head to the side in an offer Hop took with relish. Yeah came the sigh against his ear, almost too quiet to be heard. You see, I was afraid. 
afraid that you were right. Perhaps this was a thought, not spoken aloud. Perhaps Hop hadn't been meant to hear. No matter. This was a bedroom. They were here for better things. They managed to make it back to Hop's flat without causing much fuss, which seemed a small miracle. On the drive to London, Hop kept expecting to hear police sirens or someone shouting at them to stop, but perhaps it was too early for that. There had been no one left at the manor to call for help after all. And if this thought was chilling, Hop pushed it from his mind. He had seen worse. And there were more important things to be concerned with. The way that Morpheus trembled, buried in his fur coat, was one. His strained breathing, another. Hop thought all the way back about taking him to a hospital regardless of what Jessamy had said, before reminding himself sternly that she was right. A normal doctor could only cause more trouble. Still, wouldn't some kind of doctor be able to help? Hop knew a bit about human physiology. He had studied doctoring fifty years ago, and he knew that the body could betray its owner in very unexpected, time-sensitive ways. Appendicitis, dry drowning, infections of the blood, shell shock. Could something be seriously wrong with Morpheus? Wrong inside, somewhere neither he nor Hop nor the loyal raven were able to diagnose? Had the wizard's magic broken something in him? Could he be dying right now as Hop watched him, unable to do anything to help? Had Hop arrived too late to save him? Dawn was just beginning to show the edges of her golden hair as Hop settled the car in the street outside the apartment building, turning off the ignition. There didn't seem to be any police about. Only a few vagrants, and they surely wouldn't care if a man was seen carrying another in next to no clothing. Well... The first word he had spoken during the entire drive. Oh, this is my place. Hob said, and it was almost embarrassing how his voice took on a certain bedside manner, as though he was talking to an injured animal. It's not very impressive, but uh, it's safe. Morpheus nodded once, which seemed acceptance enough. When Hob opened the passenger side door, Morpheus reached out for him like a child with those willowy arms wrapping them around Hop's shoulders. It felt like carrying cold air. His hair, where it pressed to Hop's cheek, was unbearably soft. An image rose in his mind. 
He had kissed Morpheus' hair on his throat in precisely this spot, had buried his nose in that hair while his hips thrust into... But no! Surely not. Unless... Hop carried the weightless burden up the stairs with no effort, fumbling only with the keys in his pocket. Once inside, with the door closed, he felt a sudden, surprising relief. Back in familiar territory. The night had been a little too long. Without stopping to question himself, Hop took Morpheus to the bedroom and deposited him there. Pale, glassy eyes watched him, and that dark head lay limp on the pillow. Hop pulled all the covers up over him, not bothering to remove the coat. Surely he needed all the warmth he could get. Wherever Hop's fingers brushed that white skin, they burned with the cold. What can I do? Uh, can I get you some water or something? A terribly feeble attempt. Morpheus shuffled onto his side, rubbing his cheek against Hop's pillowcase. Feline. I am not human, Hopgadling. I need no human remedy. You need something, though. Hmm. Hop waited a moment more, and when Morpheus offered no suggestions for non-human remedies, he got up and went to the kitchen to put on the kettle. He wished he had a little more in his pantry, but bachelor pad and all that. After looking despairingly into a few cupboards, he settled on toast with marmalade, one piece of which he ate himself the moment it popped from the toaster. The other he placed onto one of very few clean plates, and when the kettle was done, he made black tea in one of very few clean cups, and into it he ladled a dollop of honey. A child's cure for the common cold. Foolish. He had to do something, though. Anything to busy his hands and ease the whirling of his thoughts. When the breakfast was made, he brought it to Morpheus' bedside. In the interim, he had shifted out of the coat somewhat, lying curled on his side with his face half hidden by the blankets, one glowing eye still open and staring out at nothing. Without asking, Hop sat in the hollow left between his knees and elbows. The mattress dipped under the weight of the man, where it hadn't at all for the god. The king, that was. The king of dreams and nightmares, or so Jessamy had said the king of what worlds passed by the human eye in all that time spent in bed. And Hop knew already what that fair figure looked like in bed. Tea, Hop offered. To warm you? 
No. So much for that. Morpheus was still trembling, and Hop saw more of that condensation forming across his skin, leaving a sheen on his pale cheeks. His fingers twitched feverishly, held lax on the coverlet by his face. Hop reached out a hand of his own, hesitated for an instant, and then closed his own warm palm over Morpheus's cold one. Perhaps it wasn't the time or place. Hop was a little past caring, though. Morpheus, he murmured, as gently as he dared. Are you still angry with me? For before, for what we discussed in 1889. Morpheus blinked another, slow, aching blink. For a moment, Hop didn't think he was going to answer, but... No, he whispered. We already... I have already forgiven that trespass. Hop's fingers closed a little tighter around that cold hand. Morpheus shifted on the covers, freeing both eyes to meet Hop's gaze. Did you forget? And there it was. A truth so huge it could crush. I didn't, Hop said. The words oddly stilted in his mouth. I thought I... Uh, that happened in a dream. In the dreaming. Right. A moment of silence. He shouldn't push it, probably, but... Bloody hell, he had to. So... That means... Six hundred years. One would think he'd be better with hard conversations. Everything that happened, everything I dreamt, it's all... It was all real. Morpheus gave him a rather cool look the kind an aristocrat might reserve for a poorly behaved party guest. Of course. Of course. As though nothing was more obvious. But of course, this creature wasn't human. Hop should have known better by now than to expect a human understanding of the world from him. Humans may choose to disregard their dreams. Morpheus continued with haughty finality. But that doesn't mean they aren't real. Ah. Hop felt the dizziness that tended to accompany any revelation. He suddenly had a very new understanding of what had happened to him these last six hundred years. Of just what his life had been. And 
you didn't mind. He had to be absolutely sure. Morpheus' lips parted, and Hop thought he saw it for the first time, the traces of something shy, the tiniest touch of embarrassment. Well, thank heaven he wasn't completely beyond that. I am not often dreamt of, said Morpheus slowly. Not as I am. It was flattering. It was more than that, Hob said, and the chuckle forced itself from him unbidden. Those were quite the dreams, honey. Hmm. Hop laughed again, helpless to it, that half-abashed, half-scornful expression. It wasn't a bad thing to know, Hop realized, just a surprise, and then something else occurred to him. I didn't really notice before, but, but these last ten years I haven't dreamed at all, Hop said. Nothing, not even nightmares. I, you know, I missed you. Silence. That's, is that how long you've been? But he didn't need an answer to that question. The murderous shadow that crossed Morpheus's face was explanation enough and the confirmation felt like ice pouring down Hop's back. After experiencing it firsthand, Hop wouldn't wish an hour of drowning on anyone. Some tortures were too much to bear. Ten years of it, naked and alone in that cage. What did you do to them back there? Hop asked, his voice distant from his ears. To the people who captured you. Morpheus cocked his head, a gesture that made Hop think very much of Corvid birds. I sent them to my kingdom, he said simply. To the hospitality of my nightmares. For how long? Until they die. As matter-of-fact a statement as if Hop had asked him the weather. Good. Hop looked down at the fragile, powerful being in his bed. The stranger, his friend, his lover... He felt as a storm surge, a cocktail of strong emotions, protectiveness, sure, a surprising satisfaction at the revenge, and a certain tenderness also. An affection that left the space around his heart warm. Hop reached out to smooth a palm over that feathery black hair, and Morpheus' eyelashes fluttered. 
The sun had risen outside, and the stain of yellow light as it came through the window cut across the blankets like a knife. In such a light, the vicious night creature in his bed looked very nearly domestic. Can you sleep? Hop asked him, and the words came out the softest of whispers. Morpheus' lips twitched in faint amusement. I am always asleep. Which was another way of saying he never was. All right, at least try to rest, yeah? And tell me if I can do anything. Morpheus nodded and released a shuddering sigh rubbing his face against the pillowcase again. Hop had mind to fetch a washcloth to wipe away some of those feverish dewdrops that had accumulated across his skin. Something to do, anything to do. Perhaps he ought to turn on the radio as well. See if anyone had yet found the manor of Roderick Burgess. Hop stood and made it as far as the doorway before a soft voice stopped him. Oh, what is it? Morpheus was watching him, and though the dawn was bright, the little star in his blue-black eye was brighter. My name is Dream, my truest name. That is. Hop smiled. There was the warmth again. Dream it is, then. Right Place, Right Time A Sandman Podfic Written by Sherwood Fox And read by Literarian Part 3 Hop stood in a nest of woven shadows, so dark it was almost frightening. For a moment, he wondered if he had misjudged the nature of this dream. And then cool arms wrapped around his shoulders from behind, soft lips pressed to the side of his throat. A kiss that wandered across his skin until it found his ear, his temple, his cheek. The darkness was soft under his skin as he lay back upon it. His companion crouched above him, skin glowing with a light all its own, and in that light Hop realized that it was not skin, but rather a sheen of delicate scales. 
Their edges shone like an oil spill, a million tiny iridescent rainbows. Oh, you're beautiful, Hop breathed, and his friend smiled that quiet, toothless smile that betrayed when he was pleased. This is your idea, Hop was reminded. Your dream. Then the stranger bent his fine neck and blew, lips pursed, a stream of golden fire across Hop's skin. It brought warmth with no pain, licking up his spine and across his fingers like a cat's tongue. And here be dragons, Hop Gatling. Hop parted his legs with a shiver, an invitation to come inside. The stranger took it, the fine scales on his face turning the edges of his smile sharp. Vast, silken bat swings unfurled from his back to cover them both where they lay, bodies rocking slickly together in the dark. Wings again. Hop knew he must really have them. They appeared too often not to be true. The steadily rising sun seemed to bother Dream. In its light, he twitched and thrashed, covering his eyes with the back of his hand. Hop dutifully tried blacking out the windows in the bedroom by layering the curtains with a dusty carpet, and that helped a little. But Hop wondered if what really bothered him was that all London was awake. So many people bustling about now, not thinking of his kingdom in the slightest. Dream's cold fever continued to burn, and he showed no inclination towards leaving the bed. Hop could only guess this meant he still felt too weak to stand, but didn't ask for clarification. No sense in poking the bear. Hop had taken to patting the silvery dew from Dream's skin with a cloth dampened in hot water, as a nurse might do for a feverish patient. The first time he'd tried, he'd been given an acicular look from the god, but he was past being scared away by haughty glares, and Dream hadn't protested out loud anyway. Perhaps Hop would have felt better had he done so. Had his limbs shown any sign of steadying their constant tremor? As it was, everything felt too precarious. Can I get you anything from the shop? Hop asked around noon, after Dream had rejected a ham toasty and another cup of tea. Some kind of herb or, I don't know, a crystal? Hop thought he knew the way to a shop of oddities from his flat. Not the kind of place he had ever taken to visiting, but maybe they sold more than scam, if one knew what to ask for. 
Grim's upper lip curled, the very faintest of sneers. You would cure me with children's magic. I would cure you, Hop said simply. The sneer dropped, turning contemplative, and Hop found himself fixed for a moment under those dark eyes. Strange how he hadn't noticed it before. Just how very deep those irises seemed to go, like Hop was looking down into some endless well or a mineshaft struck all the way through the world. All the way through the universe. Do you know what's wrong? Hop asked him. And Dream looked away, laying the back of his hand across his eyes again. I mean, have you ever gotten sick like this before? Dream didn't answer at first, and so Hop assumed that meant he wouldn't answer at all, an aspect of conversation with this entity he was rather resigned to. But then, with a shuddering breath, Dream surprised him. I think the binding circle had a curse. Hop felt something within him chill. He thought back to the night before. How long ago it felt now! And the golden lines he had scratched away with the guard's baton. How the paint had sparked under his touch. How the pattern had resembled a mouthful of jagged teeth. Look. Dream had pulled back the covers and now he was undoing the jeweled buttons on the coat Hop had stolen for him. The movement slow for the shaking of his long fingers. The undoing of each fastening revealed a little more of that pure white, inhumanly smooth skin. Until suddenly it didn't. Dream peeled the coat back to reveal his bare chest, and Hop couldn't help the little gasp that escaped him. There was a darkness on Dream, Inside him, just under the skin, like a pool of squid's ink. Like a poisoning of the veins. A splatter pattern that began at a point just below his ribs and sprayed across his taut stomach, up onto his breast. Hop could see it stirring. A malignant, living thing. It must have grown there when the sun rose, when the natural environment of the night creature waned. Christ, he said, does that hurt? Dream did not answer him. Yes. You should have said something, Hop murmured, though of course he was saying something now. Dream's head cocked on the pillowcase, watching him. Hop's own hand reached out without his really intending it to. 
The room had suddenly taken on an odd charge, like the air just before a distant lightning strike. Dream's skin was soft to the touch, almost impossibly so, the way a child might imagine a cloud to feel, but the cold was there, a cold that sucked the warmth from Hop's own fingertips, and when they brushed over the mark of the curse, he felt something under the skin shift, felt it bubble. Dread scuttled down his spine like a beetle. So could he be blamed when his fingers began to roam elsewhere? Away from the curse, Dream was still cold, but not so unbearably so. Closer to how he usually was, how Hop remembered him. All those dreams, they had taught him a thing or two. Hop's palm smoothed over the taut muscles of Dream's belly and he was rewarded with the very tiniest sound. A sigh that would have been a moan coming from anyone else. Hop dared look up. Dream's eyes were half-lidded, his fingers curled against his own temple, head resting imperiously on the pillow. A contented, feline indolence. Does that help? Hop asked under his breath, his hand travelling lower still, finding the point of one sharp hip bone just beneath the blanket. Dream's lips parted, but he did not speak. Hop felt not unlike a Spanish bullfighter waving his red flag in the ring, pushing to see just how far he could go. Hop bent and pressed a kiss to Dream's fair skin, right over the heart. Or at least where the heart should have been on a man. Of course, Hop didn't know if he had one. Cold fingers carded through his hair, slightly sharp nails brushing against his scalp. Hop felt a smile of his own growing against that white skin, and he absorbed it into another kiss, this time to the strict line of a collarbone. Again at the base of that long throat. His hand and mouth were travelling away from each other, searching for opposite extremities, stroking down the thigh and kissing the line of the nerve that made Dream shudder. A sudden, loud clattering at the window. Hop jumped with a swear, his heart stuttering in his chest. Something scrabbled on the glass. Your Majesty! Jessamy breathed Dream, and he reached out for the carpet, flinching as the darkness peeled back to blinding mid-afternoon light. Hop knelt over the bed to help him, hoisting the window up so Jessamy could fly inside, and she landed on the pillow by Dream's head, her beak nibbling his exposed ear in loving greeting. 
How does my kingdom fare? Hop settled himself back on the bed to listen, his mind maturely resigned to a postponement of the activities, though it would perhaps take the warmth in his groin a little longer to settle down. It's... it's fine, Jessamy said, and even Hob heard the little note of uncertainty in her voice. It's well. News is spreading of your return, sire, and the dreams and nightmares are assembling in expectation. But... But, well, it's nothing to be concerned with, really. Dream stroked Jessamy's head with one finger, waiting. Unconvinced, Hop could tell by the sour set of his lips. It's just... With your absence, well, you are the heart of the dreaming. Without you, there has been some decay. A pause. And some of your subjects are yet to return. From other worlds, that is. She spoke these last words in a little rush, as though ashamed. Dream blinked slowly, considering. Hop's eyes found themselves catching on the silvery sheen of his skin. Where it was lit by the sun, it looked like diamonds, and the inky blackness on his still bare chest pulsed, clearly hungry to spread. I knew that latter truth already, Dream murmured. And the decay will be rectified upon my return. He sounded confident enough that Hop believed him. Find them for me, Dream commanded Jessamy, and she hopped back to the windowsill at once, perfectly attentive. The recalcitrant nightmare. Report their whereabouts, but do not let yourself be seen. Yes, your majesty. And, forgive me, what will you do? Dream looked down at the stain on his skin and placed one white hand across it, a furrow in his brow. I will rid myself of this curse. The white-breasted raven bowed, and then she took flight, vanished as quickly as she had come. In her absence, Dream turned away from the light, and Hop hurried to pull the curtains closed again. In the electric semi-dark that remained, Dream did not look nearly so imperious, so effortless. There was an ill sheen to his beautiful skin. Hop realized that his tremor had stopped in Jessamy's presence, but now it was back again and a touch more violent than before. Dream's eyes, clouded and angry, stared out at nothing. Hey, Hop murmured, 
and he put a hand on Dream's bare shoulder. It's gonna be all right. You'll fix your kingdom. Show them all what's what. Won't you? Hop didn't want to even imagine the possibility of a world where he didn't, a world where this was too much for him. Hop had lost plenty over the centuries. Friends, lovers, children, wives. But to lose this creature, his one constant, that would be... No, he wouldn't think of it. It's humiliating, Dream mumbled bitterly into the pillow. For one of the endless to be so weakened. Mm-hmm. Hop hummed soothingly, and then he heard the words. The endless? Dream stilled suspiciously and Hop knew without a doubt that he was debating whether or not to elaborate. Come on, baby, I think I'm owed that much by now. My kind, Dream replied at length. My family. Oh, said Hob, and he found himself surprised. Dream had always seemed such a solitary entity. The only thing of his nature that Hop had ever encountered. He realized that, in all the centuries of speculation, he hadn't ever considered that Dream might have something so domestic as relatives. Are they like the other Greek gods? Morpheus, after all. Hop knew he was pushing it with the questions, but, well. Dream shrugged his fine shoulder dismissively. Humans have all kinds of names and categories for us, he said. Morpheus, Thanatos. Thanatos? Dream smiled a secretive, almost sly little smile. My elder sister, you are of her making, you know. No, he did not. It's been a while since I've studied the classics, Hop told him. Remind me? You might call her the Grim Reaper. Oh, Jesus bloody Christ. She has spared you her gift. Why? Never mind what, he could guess that. Never mind how, it didn't matter. But why? That was probably the most important thing in the world. The question every man wished they could ask their god. And is that not what he was? Dream pressed his face into the pillow, his eyes sliding closed, the stars turned off for once. 
How easy it was to forget, with that frail figure curled in his bed, just how unimaginably inhuman this thing was. I think to teach me a lesson. The words escaped on the softest of sighs. Hop ran his hand down Dream's back, feeling the chill of him, the silk, the raised ridges of all his fine, hollow bones. Six hundred years, with no promise of ever stopping. And why? Not because of who he was or what he had done. Not because he was special, because his life had some great meaning. Because of some sibling spat between inconceivable, omnipotent, eldritch gods. Surely it could have been anyone. Hop just had been in the right place at the right time. Just like any other human. What a bloody relief! Hop almost laughed with it the release of that burden he had been carrying in his chest. Hope. Yeah? I need a knife. One with a blade of pure silver. All right, Hop said, and he bent to press a kiss to the top of Dream's head. I'll get one for you. Hop stood upon a bank of red sand by a slow-moving, glittering river. Buried in the silt were the bones of the drowned, skulls and ribs and spines, so old now they had long crystallized into jewels of every sort. Diamonds, amethysts, emeralds. Lounging on a flat rock in the middle of the river was his friend, and Hop knew him to be an underwater creature this time, a nixie or naiad, skin shimmering wet, pale from a sunless keep. Beautiful and inhuman and dangerous. Wonder and fear. Dreams and nightmares. Come, he said, beckoning Hop across the water, and he had no need for siren song. Hop followed him without question, would always follow him wherever he was asked to go. The water was pleasantly cool, and Hop found he did not swim through it, but rather walked, his movements made slow and luxurious by the pull of the waves. Are you going to drown me? He murmured against the Nayad's lips when the first kiss fell apart. His companion hummed, considering this, and he stretched his bare figure across the stone like a commanding cat, the sight pouring heat down Hop's spine. Perhaps one of these nights. 
and he pushed Hop's shoulders effortlessly beneath the water, a river as deep and dark as an ocean. Cool lips met his, long legs wrapped around his waist, a pleasure that was slow-blooming and fierce. Hop clung to him, for it would be so easy for him to slip away in the water, too easy for Hop to accidentally let go. And that was the last thing he wanted. When Hop returned to the apartment, the sun was just beginning to make its decline in the western sky. He had needed to go to a few shops to find a blade of pure silver. Plenty of strange looks he had gotten, insisting that a coating or alloy would not suffice. He was fairly certain that the occult-looking thing wrapped up in his jacket would do, though. The unpleasant, knowing look the old woman in the store had given him had reassured him of the knife's purpose. Inside, things were not as he had left them. To Hop's surprise, Dream was on his feet, wearing only one of Hop's white sheets like a robe. He had pushed some furniture out of the way to leave a space of blank wood on the floor, and he paced across it, pouring what looked like the last of Hop's brandy from its decanter into organized drops and streaks. What's all this, then? Magic, Graham said, in the same tone with which an aristocrat might describe performing a kitchen boy's chores. Done and undone with the same methods. I have your knife. Good. Dream held out a shaking hand, and Hop handed him the blade, hilt first. The air smelled of alcohol fumes and rain. Hop took off his jacket and folded it over the back of a nearby chair. What can I do? Dream didn't answer at first, looking carefully around at his work, a pattern of liquid on the boards, the meaning of which Hop could not decipher. Then he placed the decanter on the table and stepped into the centre of the space he had cleared, the knife still held loosely in one hand. Light the circle. Dream gestured to a matchbox on the table. Hop opened his mouth. Old wooden building, downtown London, third floor, and then ultimately closed it. Worse things, he reminded himself. Far worse things. Dream watched him officiously as he knelt, striking the match head against the strip to create a small fire. Another light to be dwarfed by the stars in his lover's eyes. Are you sure? Yes. That had to be good enough. 
Hop dropped the match into one streak of alcohol and stepped back in a rush as the entire circle caught fire. Clearly, whatever mix he had lit wasn't just brandy, for the flames that had sprung forth were blue and they stayed burning in the pattern Dream had drawn for them, not spreading out in search of more fuel. The sight was still startling, but even as Hop leaned away from the fire, he did not feel any heat, nor came there the crackling sound of burning wood. No, this fire was silent, and it seemed to burn on nothing. Magic. Well then. What's next? Hop asked, with some mix of eagerness and trepidation, but Dream did not answer. He inspected the fire for a moment with his head cocked, still frowning, the look of someone putting off an unpleasant act. When it seemed he could not find any fault in the burning circle, he raised the knife. Wait! Hop saw in the angle of the blade what he was going to do, and all the blood in his body seemed to freeze. But he was far too slow. Too slow to even reach the edge of the circle before Dream plunged the knife into his own chest. It sank therein to the hilt. Dream! Hop hovered at the edge of the fire, unsure if he should leap across it or not. Rationally, he knew if he broke the spell, the consequences could likely be worse, but irrationally, his lover had just stabbed himself with no warning and Hop was still bound by the fear of losing him. But Dream did not seem to be in pain. His brow was furrowed in concentration as he dragged the knife down, cutting a steady line along his breastbone from which there poured no blood. When it was done, he unsheathed the knife from his flesh and raised his opposite hand over the wound, his fingers curled to claws. His lips were moving, murmuring words Hop could not understand. And then he saw it. In the slit of the wound, the blackness was moving, twitching and wriggling like a trapped eel. Slowly, Dream pulled his hand away through the air, over the wound, and the curse was dragged out with it, kicking and screaming like any dying thing. The process seemed to take forever, with how Hop's heart beat harder and iron hot in the back of his throat. He watched the unclean thing clinging to Dream, tendrils sucking desperately on the bloodless edges of the wound. In the back of his mind he swore for a moment he heard it, a high-pitched and anguished animal shriek. Then suddenly the last of it gave way, and in its momentum the curse flew from Dream to the edge of the circle, where it was caught by a tendril of blue fire. 
In that instant, like a wildcat pouncing, the entire circle collapsed, all the fire rushing towards the thing on the floor. It burned blue-white and writhing, and Dream knelt, striking the bundle through its core with the silver knife. The fire was extinguished. Hob had to blink a few times to clear his eyes, and when he had, he saw that the blade was clean, stabbing nothing but his wooden floor. The curse, or whatever it had been, was gone. Hop rushed over to Dream's side. Dream, who still knelt over the blade, the white sheet trailing out behind him like a cape. Dream, oh my god, are you okay? Hop's hand found that thin chest, looking for the wound, but there was nothing save fair, undamaged skin. Dream was watching him, an amused smile tugging at the edges of his lips. The trembling had abated, Hob observed, and the coolness of his skin felt more natural than it had before. Felt more like it was supposed to, that was. Oh, bloody hell, Hob said with a great sigh falling back on his heels. You should have warned me. Hmm. Then Dream leaned in, closing the distance between them, and kissed Hob on the mouth. It was chaste, a tender bird's peck. Hob wondered if it might mean thank you. He didn't quite have time to process the gesture, or to return it, before Dream was rising again, his hand held out in offer. Hop took it, and with surprising strength, Dream helped Hop to his feet. Okay, that was... that. How do you feel? Are you... are you better now? Perhaps, Dream murmured vaguely. But I am not myself again. Not yet. Yeah, probably not, Hob said. You need to recover from that, yeah? Wound or not, the act had been violent. Dream was watching Hob with that lofty amusement again, which Hob didn't think was deserved. He just bloody stabbed himself, and an hour before that he'd been too weak to get anywhere without Hop carrying him. I need to retrieve my tools. Whatever that was supposed to mean. Shouldn't you take a rest first? Rest? echoed Dream, and he entwined Hop's warm fingers in his own cool ones. Yes, the sun has set. Dream turned to him, the lights in his eyes flickering with something Hop couldn't name. His heart stuttered. With the way Dream smirked, perhaps he had felt it. 
soft lips found the shell of his ear. A sigh breathed there. A cool breeze that brought with it the promise of spring. Come to bed, Hopgatling. Hop's tongue was tied in his mouth like a teenage boy's, but he did as he was told. Dream would have made an excellent fairy, or vampire, for so effortless was his seduction for how helpless Hop felt before it. Hop was undressed under cool hands, and the sheet fell uselessly away, and when he leaned in to kiss, Dream made no objection. These kisses, too, were tender, and Hop was marvelling at how it felt here, for the first time in the waking world, to have this breathtaking thing in his arms. They fell into the bed. Perhaps Dream pushed him, for it was Hop's head that ended up on the pillow. Dream looked down at him, dark hair brushing his forehead, and from this distance Hop could almost see constellations in those pale eyes. What do you want? Hop would probably give him anything. Sleep, Dream whispered, a command that came from everywhere. Sleep and dream of power, my love. A glimmer of something silver in the corners of his eyes. The scent of the faraway desert. Sand. I will come and take it from you. Hop stood at the heart of the earth. Here it was, the furnace, the core of the planet, and each of its beats lasted a century. Here was the wellspring for all life, the place from which the world blood flowed. It's amazing, Hop said to the black-furred wolf that lay by his side, though he couldn't have said if the beast understood him. I am so lucky. Overgrown claws clicked on stone. The wolf rose, all its bones apparent under its thin pelt, and it took a few steps towards the fire. Be careful, Hop told it. Don't forget I love you. The wolf looked back at him, and Hop extended a hand, the palm of which it licked once. Then it turned to the fire and tipped back its head to howl. When Hop woke, it was gradually and without any pain. He became aware slowly of the mattress beneath him, the press of the pillowcase on his cheek. A window must have been opened, for he could smell fresh air and hear the shifting of the curtains. 
Hop reached out across the bed, expecting to brush against something silken and cold. His hand only found more mattress and more mattress and then the hard interruption of the plaster wall. Hop opened his eyes. He was alone. The watch he had left on his bedside table told him it was nearly ten in the morning, and suppressed sounds of the city outside told him it was Sunday. So no days had passed him by unwittingly. He had slept a normal night's sleep. Hop sat for a moment in the sunlight, rubbing at the stubble on his cheek. Then, deciding there was nothing for it, he rose and fixed himself breakfast. The flat was just as he remembered it, which was to say all the furniture was back where it belonged, undisturbed by black magic rituals. His clothes were folded on the chair where he usually kept them, and the brandy decanter was full once again. It was as though everything he remembered had been, well, had been nothing but a dream. Though he knew now that dreams were not nothing, not by any stretch of the imagination. After tea, Hop pulled back the carpet in the living room, searching the floor with his fingers. Ha! There was a nick in the wood, a sliver of it cut away where a knife had been rammed. Forgot this, you cheeky bastard. But the moment of triumph was short-lived. Another lover might have left a note, some promise of return. With Dream, there was nothing. He'd be back, Hop told himself, a reassurance he didn't quite believe. He'd be back, wouldn't he? Dream made no appearance that day, which did not concern Hop much. The afternoon was mild and sunny, a weather he didn't think Dream liked. And everyone was awake anyway. Hop had plenty to busy his time with. When evening came, he returned to the flat and tried to do something other than pace around from room to room, waiting for the shadows to transfigure themselves into a familiar shape. On the second day, Hop found himself watching the rooftops as he attended to his affairs, trying to catch the flash of a white breast. There were plenty of crows, and once he did see a raven, but when he raised his hand to it in greeting, it only flew away. Either it had been instructed to ignore him, or, much more likely, That particular bird wasn't under the king's command. That night, Hop went to bed early, and as he fell asleep, he spun all his thoughts around Dream. He did not know how to control where he went when he slept, but surely the call would be recognized. Recognized, if not acknowledged. 
but when Hop woke the next morning, it was to the frustrated realization that he had dreamt of nothing. On the third night, Hop reminded himself sternly that Dream was probably very busy, repairing the decay or whatever Jessamy had said. Perhaps things weren't going so smoothly. Dream probably didn't have time to drop in on a human, and it had only been a few days anyway. On the fourth night, Hop grew frustrated and went down to the pub instead of waiting. He had saved the god from a pretty sour predicament, might he say so himself, and that was all he got? He didn't even know if Dream was well or if he had overexerted himself following that exorcism, for lack of a better term, and now lay in a ditch somewhere too weak to move. How was Hop to know if Dream still needed help? On the fifth day, Hop drove out to the manor of Roderick Burgess, thinking vaguely that he might find something there. What exactly? A clue like in some detective novel? Or Dream himself, standing in the wreckage and relishing in his malicious work? Perhaps. When he arrived, however, the place was swarming with Scotland Yard, and a few of the detectives seemed a little too interested in his car for him to stick around. On the sixth night, Hop poured himself a generous glass of brandy and wondered bleakly if he was going to have to wait until 1989. There was no doubt that a creature like Dream would approach time in a different manner to humans. He certainly approached relationships in a manner different to humans. And Hob, damn him, had no way of telling him so. On the seventh night, one week to the day since Hob had freed Dream from the cage, he returned to his apartment and this time it was different. This time it was not empty. Hop knew this even before he set foot within. The door was ajar, the knob twisted out of its setting. Obviously it had been opened by force. Whoever had done it clearly hadn't known how to pick a lock properly. Or if they had, they hadn't cared enough to do so. Hop looked at the door for a moment, frowning. Then he stepped inside. Crime wasn't exactly rare in this part of town, he thought, as he crossed the threshold, eyes watching the darkness. It could be, and likely was, just a regular break-in. Perhaps the thief was gone already. Dream would not need to do something so brutish to get in. No, it couldn't be Dream. The light in the kitchen was on. Hop approached slowly, rolling up his sleeves in case there was need for fisticuffs, the fearlessness of a soldier who could not die. 
He did not hear the rummaging he might expect from a petty thief looking for silverware. What he did hear was the clink of a glass placed down upon the table. Hop stepped into the room. Oh, hello there, said the stranger. He was a man, an American, as was instantly apparent from his manner of speaking. Tall, young, well-dressed, blonde, sitting at Hop's kitchen table with a glass of brandy and his decanter, as comfortable as if he owned the place. He was probably very handsome, but it was hard to say. Though the light was dim, he wore a pair of fashionable blackout sunglasses that hid his eyes completely. Good evening, Hop answered, and he leaned against the kitchen door frame, looking the other man up and down in bemusement. What are you doing in my flat? No point in dodging around it, he figured. The stranger smiled charmingly, revealing a set of white, perfectly straight teeth, and he gestured to the second chair at the table, where Hop now saw a second glass had been placed. Hop just raised his eyebrows. I wanted to talk, said the stranger. Forgive me for overestimating your hospitality. And what would we have to talk about? Hop asked, smiling back in spite of himself. He had the feeling he was staring down a wolf in the woods. Best not to show any fear. I've never seen you before in my life. No, the stranger agreed, and he took another sip of Hop's brandy. But we have a friend in common. A friend. That could only possibly be one person. Or one not-person, Hop supposed. Something like that, said the stranger, and for a moment his smile lost its control and took on the quality of a razor blade. I'm here because I think he cares about you. A pause. Hop wasn't going to answer that one way or the other. The stranger licked his upper teeth, and Hop felt a chill run down his spine. Well, as much as he cares about anyone, which I assure you is very little, perhaps it would be better to say you matter for some reason. The stranger suddenly stood, his movements betraying a graceful athleticism, and Hop had to restrain himself from flinching. The other man was a good deal taller than he was, possibly stronger too. At least Hop would have experience on his side, should it come to a fight. Wouldn't he? So I was wondering what he might do. The stranger continued, his voice taking on a mocking swing as measured, predator steps brought him closer across the kitchen floor. 
what he might agree to in exchange for you. He had a knife in his pocket. Hop saw the shape of the handle, saw the stranger's fingers reaching for it, as casual as could be. Hop took a step back, sucking in a breath. Something about this felt wrong. The way the stranger's head blocked out the light from the overhead lamp. Hop had fought his way out of worse situations than one man with a weapon. Hell, Hop couldn't die, and yet... And yet, something about this was frightening in a way he didn't think he'd ever been frightened before, not in real life. Instinctual terror, rabbit and wolf, like he was defenseless, like the most that Hop could do was back away, wait until his back found a wall, and then he was done for. The stranger's knife gleamed, well polished under the electric light, and Hop's stomach churned with dread. He should run, or at least raise his fists, look for a weapon of his own, but all his limbs felt oddly numb, and it was almost too much already just to swallow the terror rising in his throat. It was getting closer, that broad grin, that sharp knife, the stranger was almost upon him. Why couldn't he do anything? Why was he frozen like this, trapped as though in a nightmare? Corinthian. A claw curled into the fair hair of the stranger's head and yanked his neck back, pulling him to the floor. The knife fell from his hands, but Hop was barely watching. He was transfixed by the arrival of this new horror. A monster had appeared. It was an abomination made of roiling shadows, all-black distortion and cutting, killing edges. A mass of limbs tangled together, animal and human. Hop spotted a hooked talon, a bat's thrashing wing, a raven's tail feathers. Bones and scythes and devil's horns, twisting and mutating, writhing in pure, unmistakable fury. The American cried out, scrabbling like a child in an attempt to free himself, but the beast dragged him away, back to the kitchen like he was weightless. All the lights in the flat were flickering, surging, and even the shadows that had been ordinary before were made wild, taking on monstrous faces that jeered and snarled, bent out of shape and into demons unrecognizable. My lord, please! On shaking legs, Hop made his way back to the kitchen door. Inside, the shape of the monster had settled some, and Hop recognized it now. Dream. But no, this clearly wasn't dream. 
Nightmare held the blond man in the air by the throat, lips peeled back from venomous white fangs so long they nearly touched his bloodless lower gums. His cloak was made of feathers and blades, sharp enough to cut air, and all the shadows in the room danced around him in wicked ecstasy. You have defied me. No, please, your majesty. The stranger kicked at nothing, his fingers clutching and twisting at Nightmare's arm, but the hold that clawed hand had on him was unrelinquishable. You consorted with my captors. Don't hack me, don't, please, I don't, I can do better, please, mercy. The sunglasses fell from his face, and Top saw for the first time what he kept behind there were not eyes, but rather mouths, the lips slack and splitted, the teeth gnashing and chattering in fear. You make us too many flaws hissed Nightmare, in the voice of a serpent, bending his arm to effortlessly bring the other creature closer to his own glistening fangs. I will unmake you now. No, no, no! And then he began to dissolve, burning to ash from the inside out and flaking away powerless, a destruction that could not be fought against. Dust replaced skin, then muscle, then bone, all that was left were the three sets of teeth hovering in the air, and then those were gone too. A moment was all it took, and then Nightmare's grip was empty. The shadows began to settle in the aftermath, slowly and a touch reluctantly, retreating to their proper stations. Nightmare looked at the space where the other thing had been, and then something in him seemed to soften too. The cloak was just a cloak now, shadow black and silky, pooling on the floor as opposed to cutting gashes through it. All the other limbs and faces had tucked themselves away under it, and the silhouette of the figure shrunk, until the edges that remained were only the familiar ones. Dream, said Hop hoarsely, and Dream turned to him, his hand slowly relaxing the death grip he'd had on the air. You, hey, you got your ruby back. Stupidly, Hop gestured to the red crystal on Dream's chest, but the other being did not look at it in turn. He seemed to be studying Hop very closely, cold eyes flickering up and down, a scrutiny that appeared clinical. Are you hurt? he asked after a moment. No, Hop answered. Scared shitless, though. 
and with that declaration he sat in the seat he had been offered earlier and took a swig of the brandy straight from the decanter. Dream stayed where he was, still watching Hob with an almost uncomfortable closeness, but Hob didn't really have the wits to care. That guy, I guess you knew him? The Corinthian, a rogue nightmare. Ah, yeah, Hob said mindlessly, and slowly Dream moved over to the table. Resting on it white hands that still, Hob observed, had on them the vestiges of hooked black claws. Do you know what he was going to do to me? Dream? Pluck out your eyes and eat them. Oh my god. Hob took another swig of the brandy and willed his own trembling to stop. Well, thanks for saving me. Dream looked up at him, surprised. You are welcome. A quiet fell between them that was not uncomfortable, at least not for Hob. Dream was sitting at the very edge of the seat the Corinthian had vacated, his pale fingertips tracing some pattern on the table's surface. Hop took the moment to engage in a surreptitious examination of his own. Dream certainly looked better than he had when he'd been lying, sickened, in Hop's bed, but he did not seem wholly well either. His skin had a certain sallowness to it, the bones too close to the surface. His eyes, when they met Hobbes, were ringed with black and purple shadows. Immortal, sure, powerful for certain, but fragile also. Fleeting also. Something to be treasured not taken for granted, just like any dream. I don't want to see you only once a century in the waking world, Hop said. Not anymore. I'd like some of this to be on my terms, love. Dream looked at him, his expression shuttered and wary, and his hands stilled in their spellcraft motions across the tabletop. Hop waited. He had long learned patience when it came to this one. Your life, Dream began slowly, should be free, Hopgatling. You are not bound to any force. You can choose your own path. Hob considered this for a moment. He understood what Dream meant, and so he really did think. All right, he concluded. That's true, and I'm choosing you. He grinned and put a hand out over Dream's own, catching that cool palm in his.
So come around, yeah? After work or, or if you need help, I'd love to grab a pint. Grim entwined their fingers. There was that tiny smile again, the expression Hop now realized as fond. Perhaps. Hop chortled at that and kissed him. He felt Graham sigh in contentment, a cool little wind passing by his cheek. So that was that then. Right Place, Right Time A Sandman Podfic Written by Sherwood Fox And read by Literarian Epilogue The day was overcast but warm, the heavy blanket of clouds promising a distant rain. Hop lay back on the red-checkered picnic blanket looking up at the slow thrashing leaves of the oak tree above. There were children playing a ways down the path. They had brought with them a tremendous red kite, perhaps hoping the wind would take it to yet unseen heights. The air carried the sound of their laughter. Hop was full of good food and a healthy amount of wine. He was in no pain, and for discomfort he only felt the itch of a mosquito bite on one ankle, which was nothing. This was, as he often found himself thinking, very much like how he used to imagine heaven. There, there. A dozen or so pigeons and doves cooed excitedly around the blanket flapping their wings and strutting back and forth in their eagerness for a treat. There's enough for all of you. Graham knelt at Hop's side, dressed in a simple black shirt and slacks. The ruby tucked away on a cord about his neck. His white hands held out palmfuls of sunflower seeds, from which the birds plucked happily. To think, Hop was here now. This was happening. His life had somehow, impossibly, miraculously arranged itself just for him to experience this perfect moment. Of all the things he could have been, all the ways his centuries could have gone, this instant was his and he wouldn't trade it for the world. The right place, the right time. Hop didn't think he'd ever get tired 
of living. Sunday afternoon, and there wasn't much on the mind of the immortal Hobgatling. He was in his flat above the new inn, entering the test scores for his students on the class web page. Something he should have done earlier in the week, but, well... And he didn't mind too much. The weather outside was black with an early spring thunderstorm, so he wasn't missing out on a nice day. Cooped up was the better place to be in London at such a time. No, Hop did not envy the poor buggers trying to do errands in such weather. Getting up on seven centuries of life now, and he never stopped appreciating the value of creature comforts. A mug of tea, soft music playing through the Bluetooth speaker, a bit of work to keep his hands busy. The thunder outside boomed especially loud, and the music warbled like a scratched disc, then shut off completely. The lights flickered, turning the shadows sharp, and then, with the high whine of electric overcharge, they died completely. Power outage. Bloody hell, Hop said to the quiet of his apartment. The dim ambient light from the thundering clouds was now the brightest thing in the room, after the blue glow of his computer screen, which was telling him quite firmly that it was no longer connected to a power source, or, for that matter, the internet. So much for that afternoon plan, then. Hop moved the computer from his lap to the coffee table. And then he saw it. A motion. There was a shadow gliding across the floor. A shadow with no apparent source. The room was suddenly growing cold, and far faster than the outage could account for. Indeed, it was suddenly cold enough for Hop's next breath to form in the air before his face. The darkness of the room grew deeper. All the shadows were moving, reaching out from their nooks and crannies like living things, hungry to pull more of the world into their depths. The storm outside had not abated. Indeed, it only grew more ferocious. The rain lashed at the windows like it wished to break the glass, and the thunder boomed in one long, continuous roar, a sound that could have come from the mouth of a tremendous, world-ending beast, a star-swallower like in the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Arrogant, overstepping little insects. A wall of darkness with two pinpricks of light, the barely consolidated form of slender human limbs and raven wings. Usurpers, daring to sully what they should rightfully worship, daring to touch. Hello, nightmare. 
Hop murmured under his breath, the words drowned out by another deafening boom of thunder. Dream's white hands were curled into claws, fingers contorted as though they itched to throttle someone. His fangs were bared, the fangs Hop knew only appeared when he was especially angry. And Hop saw he was shaking with it this time. A rage so hot it was bringing the lightning down outside. Clutching filth, a stain that has outgrown its lonely place. Hop stood slowly. Dream didn't seem to be talking to him. The king paced the circle of Hop's living room floor, spitting whispers that sounded like poison sharp enough to cut. In his wake, the shadows in the room twisted and writhed, whether in anguish or ecstasy, Hop couldn't tell. The whole room had begun to smell of something burned, of blackened desert. The ruby on Dream's chest gleamed like a malignant eye. Hey, honey, Hop said, approaching with his hands raised, the way another might confront a hostile animal. What's the matter? He made the mistake of stepping on the edge of Dream's cloak, which felt like the shell of a razor clam under his socked foot. Dream whipped around with a terrible hiss, and Hop stumbled back, letting out a little yelp, surprised to find he hadn't cut himself. Humans have crawled above their station, Dream spat pointing an accusing finger at Hop's chest. Thinking the world is owed to them, that they can take anything they want. The paragon of selfishness, of depraved, degenerate insolence. War, war, easy there. Dream had never heard Hop before. Not physically, not in any world, but he looked almost on the verge of violence now, as though at the slightest provocation those fangs might sink into Hobbes' throat. Those claws tear across his face. Slice his skin open with all those beautiful black feathers. A reminder if his words weren't enough, that this creature Hob loved was not human at all. I'm human too, remember? Look. No, I won't stand for it. Not anymore. Yeah, it's our nature to always reach for more and to make mistakes. Silence! I won't have it. Dream looked like he was going to catch fire. Like he might hurt Hop, sure, but also very much like he might hurt himself. That thought was enough to put some bravery back in Hop's chest, and so he reached out to catch Dream by those thin white wrists, 
forcing him to stop his frantic pacing, forcing those starfire eyes to meet his. Not the position he had expected to find himself in today, preaching a defence of the human race to an insanely powerful and clearly bloodthirsty god. But we always learn, don't we? Release me. There was definitely murder written across that sharp face. Not till you settle down, baby. Release me. Tell me what's wrong. They raped her. Dream jerked back in Hop's grip, freeing himself with ease and knocking Hop to the floor in the process. He whirled around in the writhe of darkness that had grown around him, and, as Hop had feared, the claws came up to his own head, tearing at the feathers there, gouging across his scalp and down his neck. They locked her away in a cage and they raped her, took what they wanted like it belonged to them. The scream devolved into words no longer recognisable as English. Hop thought it might, in fact, be Greek. He forced himself back to his feet and approached again, catching those contorted fingers before they could do any more damage, pulling Dream to his chest. Even like this, powerful and at his most enraged, Dream's physical form weighed little more than a bird. Hey, easy, hey there. Hop pressed Dream's head to his shoulder and heard angry jaws slice shut near the skin of his throat. Yikes, that was a close one. Well, there was nothing for it. It's all right. It's all right now, love. No, it isn't. The words came out nearly a sob. Dream stopped thrashing in his arms, stopped straining back against his grip, and it was with no small amount of relief that Hop felt his companion's rigid figure begin to melt against him. Hop knelt slowly, bringing Dream down to the floor with him. The wind and thunder were settling outside, though not the rain which poured straight down from the sky in an expression of unextinguished misery. What happened? Hop murmured to Dream's ear, letting his restraining grip shift into a comforting embrace. Tell me, who? Calliope. A name that sounded like music, but Hop didn't recognize it. In Dream's sharp mouth, the word was tender. Calliope, okay, and someone... she was imprisoned? Hop didn't want to say it. Didn't want to echo back that unclean, dreaded verb, 
Perhaps that was cowardice. By conceited human men, Erasmus Fry, Richard Maddock, Roderick Pages. The last name was a whisper. Graham twitched in his arms, clawed fingers grabbing a handful of Hobbes' shirt. Something terrible settled in Hobbes' stomach, a suspicion he hadn't entertained before, too horrible to even contemplate. Their punishment will be eternal. Okay, it's okay, sweetheart. Graham's edges seemed to have softened some, so Hop thought it safe to bring a hand up to his hair, to stroke him soothingly there. Hop could hear his breathing, high and fast in his chest, too much, both these things to sound comfortable. Slowly, Graham's tearing grip on his clothes began to lessen. I didn't even know. For the longest time, I didn't. It's all right. It's not your fault. Hop would say anything to settle him, but this was surely true. We haven't spoken, not since... since we were married... Ah, where is she now? Graham let out a shuddering sigh. Free. Good, Hop said, and he pressed a kiss to Dream's cool forehead. That's good. Hop felt otherworldly eyes on him a gaze that prickled against his skin like fire. He smoothed the palm down Graham's hair again, and in it he was unable to find any wounds from the fit. Either they had healed already, or they had never existed. Graham's breathing was still too fast. Hop could feel it against his own chest, that shuddering breathing that reminded him of how Dream had been only once before, when Hop had freed him from the glass prison. One of those three names. Hop Gatling. Yeah? Hop woke with a start on the couch and nearly dropped his laptop. He caught it just in time and looked around himself, surprised to find all the lights in the apartment on, the pleasant music still playing on the speaker. Google was open to the class notes page, the last submission asking for his confirmation. He could only have dozed off for an instant. The storm outside the window looked positively tame compared to the one in his dream. If it had been his dream. Ever since the 1920s, whose dream Hop was dreaming at any given time had become a little unclear. 
Hop clicked the accept button on the web page and then put the screen on his laptop down, looking around the room. Of course, nothing was amiss. Nothing was any different from how he remembered it. Dream, are you still here, love? But he received no reply. Hop waited in the quiet for a moment more, and when nothing stirred, he opened his laptop again. On Google, he opened a new tab, and into the search bar he typed the word Calliope. A keyboard musical instrument resembling an organ and consisting of a series of whistles sounded by steam or compressed air. Or the Greek muse of heroic poetry. Of this latter figure there was a picture, a painting by some Renaissance artist, a beautiful young woman with flowing curls of brown hair. She wore a white robe and carried a book. Hop selected the Images tab. Those that weren't of an instrument were all similar. A woman with a book, or more commonly, a scroll. Sometimes she had a pen. In most pictures she wore a simple golden crown. Always lovely, always austere. Most certainly real. Hop opened the Wikipedia article. Yes, his students were forbidden from using it as a source. And there wasn't much. It said Calliope was the youngest muse, presiding over eloquence and poetry. The reportedly divine inspiration for some of history's greatest poets. Homer, Virgil, Ovid, Hesiod. Children, declared one tab in clean blue letters, catching Hobbes' eye. Linus and Orpheus, by either Oniris or King Oecrus of Thrace. Oniris. Hobbes' cursor hovered over the name. Strange that so many years had passed since the advent of the internet and he'd never thought to search for this before. But the cursor, as if of its own volition, drifted slowly to the left and clicked on the link to Orpheus instead. And so Hop read that story. After a while, he set aside the laptop and went to the window to watch the storm. He wasn't sure what he felt, having acquired this new information. Perhaps a little guilty. His friend had been ever so secretive. It felt wrong to discover such a thing without it coming from those white lips. There was a hollowness too, an empathy that felt like a strike against a clay good, an echo of his own old grief. Hop knew very well the pain of losing a child. The storm outside seemed to be settling down, just in time to see the sunset. Hop returned to the laptop 
and this time he searched for human names. Erasmus Fry and Richard Maddock. For the first, he found only a list of works and an obituary. A moderately successful author, dead two years since. For the second, the first result was an online Guardian article published the morning previous. It said that the highly esteemed and best-selling novelist Rick Maddock had suffered a severe mental breakdown during a lecture and had consequently been transferred to a private mental hospital. Hop's fingertips felt cold on the keyboard. Eternal punishment. He exited out of all the tabs not related to work, and when this was done, he powered down the computer for the evening. That was enough of the forbidden fruit for him. The darkness was wet and flat, man-made. Hop breathed in the mildewed air of the dungeon. He could hear the water of the moat churning, slopping faintly against its stone walls. There came a gurgle from some far-off grate. Other than this, the silence of the room was oppressive. It ground on Hop's ear like a millstone. In the center of the room, there was a glass ball. Hop approached, his own footsteps making no sound. The light inside the cage was almost blinding, obscuring what lay within until he was right beside it, but there were no surprises here. Dream, Hop tried to say, but though his mouth formed the word, his voice made no sound. Dream, dream. Dream sat in the centre of the cage, cold white and curled against the world, all the angles of his limbs hostile. He did not turn to see Hop. His stillness was so complete, it looked agonized. Dream! Oh, that's right. This was a dream. Hop pulled his fist back and struck the glass. Such a thing would have broken his bones in the waking world, but this was not the waking world. Yes, Hop was, by now, a practiced lucid dreamer. Instantly and painlessly, the glass shattered. But it did not fall to the ground, instead remaining suspended like an astronaut's things in space. Hop pushed his way through the floating glass and found Dream curled on the floor still, now covered in his thin black cloak, head bent to examine something Hop could not see. Dream, he tried again, and this time his voice worked as intended. Dream, love, I'm sorry. There came no response. But I would never do this to you, 
You know that, right? Hob approached and put a gentle hand on Dream's shoulder. We are not all like them, those men. I mean, too many of us are, but not all. Not most. Hop knelt, his hand shifting to run down the line of Dream's elegant spine. Still, his companion's gaze turned down, fixated by the thing he cradled in his lap. Hop looked. It was a broken liar. Oh, Dream. Hop woke with a start to the sound of his alarm clock. It was Monday morning. He had a class to attend in an hour's time. Oh, fuck me, Hop groaned, rolling over in bed to shut off the sound. Once quiet fell, he seriously considered going back to sleep. He didn't want to leave Dream alone, not given his current state. Though, of course, there was no guarantee at all that he would be able to find Dream again, even if he did fall back asleep. No amount of self-imposed lucid dream training could ever compare to the king of dreams and nightmares. A creature who, Hop had long learned, tended to hide himself away in dark places when he was in pain. And getting a sub this last minute would be trouble for Linda, the school secretary. And he had a meeting to attend with Jenny's parents regarding her recent drop in performance. And so, well, I'll be back tonight, love, Hop said to the empty air. Perhaps to the alarm clock. I hope you'll be up for talking then. Or whatever. A month passed in which Hop had no dreams beyond the ordinary. Dreams about work, or about work he used to do in the past, or about wandering downtown London in his underwear, unsure of how he'd come to be there and unable to find his way home. Hop had a mind to ask Dream about that one. He'd been having it since the 14th century. A month was not so very long, Hop knew, not in the scope of his life and certainly not in that of Dream. Even since their relationship had become closer, to wait a month or more between otherworldly appearances was hardly abnormal. Still, Hop couldn't help but worry a little. Sunday afternoon again. The day was warm and bright, almost idyllic, all the trees budding in promise of the coming summer. Hop was behind on work again. When was he not? But the day was too pleasant to waste away indoors, so he took his stack of ungraded papers to the park and set up shop on a picnic bench under a tree. 
he was not the only one in the park by far. Plenty of families were out walking, children and little white dogs, balls being kicked and laughter drifting across the grass. The sounds of humanity at their best. Hop found nothing more comforting. He ruefully crossed out one student's misnamed queen with a red pen and then realized suddenly that he was not alone. He looked up. A young woman stood before his picnic bench, and though Hop was certain he had never seen her before, something in him recognized her still. She had very long, flowing brown hair, kept back by a plain yellow headband, and wore a simple white summer dress. She was undoubtedly very beautiful. When she saw him looking, she smiled. A quiet, almost sad smile. Are you writing something, Robert Gatling? She asked, in a voice that sounded almost like song. Accented. Hop floundered a moment. Sitting before her felt rather like being bathed in a ray of the purest sunlight. Uh, oh. No, I'm a teacher. These are my students' papers. He waggled his red pen in the air, and then the words she had spoken actually landed. At the moment, after all, he was supposed to be Richard Gatson, or Dick, to his colleagues and certain recalcitrant students. But you know my name. Not necessarily a good sign, that. Hop gave her a shrewd look, and the woman smiled again, apologetically this time. Hop didn't think she looked malicious. Not that that meant anything. Again, he wondered why he felt he recognized her, the way one recognizes actors from one film to the next or a model in different advertisements. May I sit? She asked him, gesturing to the picnic table. By all means. The stranger sat, picking up one of the corrected pages as she did so, and her eyes crinkled in amusement at the first few lines. Really stunningly beautiful a beauty that was soft and warm. Hop, of course, tended to find himself preferring beauties that were sharp and cold. You teach history? she asked with clear amusement, and Hop nodded. <laughs> that is a good occupation for an immortal. I see you know a fair bit about me, Hop said crying for jovial. Shouldn't I get to know something about you? As though that logic had ever applied to otherworldly beings, but... Oh, I'm sorry, said the woman, her eyes widening. I do not wish to be rude. My name is Calliope. I am a goddess. And... That was where he recognized her from. 
the paintings that came up on her Google search, many clearly a good likeness. Hop noticed the slight defensiveness in her tone at that last declaration, and so he inclined his head as he held out his hand for her to shake, a knight's deference. Well, it's good to meet you, he said honestly. And my name is Hob. Only my father ever called me Robert, and, well, he's long gone. Hob. Calliope echoed with another smile, and she took his offered hand once with dainty grace. So, Hob wasn't sure how to broach this one, or even if he should. Are you all right? I mean, how are you holding up? The smile faded, and Calliope's eyes went wide. Oops. Poking the all-powerful bears, Hopgadling, you just can't help yourself, can you? Sorry, he told me what happened, is all. Calliope shook her head, still wide-eyed, watching him as though he were some rare and marvellous creature she had encountered by chance in an enchanted forest. Which was strange, given that the opposite should be more true. Between the two of them, he was the ordinary man. Oniris confides in you, Calliope said wondrously. That is... Shocking? Rare. Hop dropped the self-deprecating grin, shuffling his shoulders a little self-consciously. Well, not really. He didn't tell me his name until, well, just about a hundred years ago now. Calliope shook her head. But she was smiling again, another blindingly warm smile. But he told you, and he confides in you. That is not nothing, Hobgadling. When I had him, when Olympus was at its most powerful, he was unparalleled in his arrogance and in his cruelty. But you loved him anyway. No sense in pretending he wasn't curious about that. I do she said with a fine frog, though at times his wickedness was unsavoury, but... And now something in her smile surprised him. It curled at her lips knowingly, almost salaciously, and Hop felt his own eyebrows rising towards his hairline. He is very beautiful, is he not? Ah, uh, yep. No sense arguing with that one. Calliope chuckled and looked out across the park. The mirth on her face faded slightly. Hop thought something about it became faintly sad. Whatever she was thinking of, Hop might guess but did not ask. Even his uncautious prying had its limits. I wanted to meet you, 
Calliope continued after a moment. To see what kind of man you were. See if a human could have truly affected him so. Affected? Calliope smiled again. Oniras is much changed, she murmured. Hop thought about what she'd said. Unparalleled cruelty. Well, for better or for worse, Hop had to know. For better, I think. Calliope stood then, brushing her skirt down. She turned her head towards the laughing children, that warm smile playing on her lips anew. He is sensitive, even if he would prefer not to be, she said. So please take care of him for me, our sweet dream. Of course, Hop agreed, the answer obvious. But before the second word could even pass his lips, Calliope was gone. There had been no light, no smoke or bang. She had vanished into the air, as though she had never been there at all. Hop stared at the place where she had stood, and realized she had never answered his question. She hadn't said if she was all right. Hop watched the children play for a few minutes, and then returned to his work. Monday. The sun was setting when Hop finished up in the classroom. The students had all long gone home, of course, but he had a few meetings and an assignment to write up. He had just zipped up his bag when he was greeted by an unexpected visitor. The second in so many days. A long-furred black cat had jumped gracefully onto his desk and now stalked across it, bottle brush tail held high as it wound about his papers and trinkets. It meowed plaintively, a high and tiny sound, and so Hob held out a hand for it to sniff. Why, hello there, Hob said to it cheerfully. Where did you come from, pretty kitty? The cat seemed to have approved of him, and so he ran a hand through its silky fur, winning the prize of a low, rumbling purr. Did Sykes leave the door open? Sykes being the school janitor. Hop checked the cat for a collar, but it had none. It didn't look like a stray to him, though, the long fur was too well-maintained. Moreover, it was far too friendly to be feral, the way it rubbed back against his hand, almost demanding to be pet. Are you lost? Is that it, huh? Poor little kitty, poor kitty kitty. The cat looked up at him, and Hop saw that it had blue eyes with stars in their pupils. Uh, oh! Hop froze, unsure of what to do. 
this was an unprecedented occurrence. The cat butt its head insistently into the palm of his hand, and slowly he started to pat it again, scratching under its chin and behind its ears. The purr started up even more vigorously, vibrating under Hobbs' fingers. You like this? All right, then. Hop pet the cat a moment more, not sure if he dared stop, until the tail flicked dismissively under his chin and it jumped down from the desk, stalking towards the door. Long resigned to his fate, Hop finished packing his bag and followed it. The cat wound through the shadows ahead of him, pausing occasionally to sniff at something on the floor or air. It didn't behave like a human at all. Nor did it speak, though Hop had every reason to expect it to. As they passed the still-lit main office, Hop raised his hand to the secretary. Good night, Linda. See you tomorrow, Dick. Oh. The explanation for her sudden excitement was obvious. A beautiful black cat was winding its way about Hop's legs. Linda was an elderly woman and owned three cats herself. Hop had frequently been reminded of their names, habits and appearances during breaks in the staff room. Who's that? Linda cooed, approaching from around the desk with her hands on her knees. The black cat looked at her with what was clearly deep disapproval. Yes, Hob would recognize that expression anywhere, on any creature's face. Uh, oh, he, uh, he's... Hob floundered a moment, and in that time, Linda came closer and the disapproving gaze turned to him. He's mine, and he doesn't really like being touched. Not good with strangers. The cat reinforced the statement by curling closer to Hobbs' legs and hissing, bearing long and delicate white fangs. Could it be? Yes, Hop had seen those fangs before, on Nightmare. Ooh, he's a rescue, is he? Linda sighed in a tone of utmost understanding. Hop laughed out loud. <laughs> yeah, something like that, he agreed. Was he not? What's his name? Uh, Hop looked down at the cat, who meowed once, like in complaint. His name is King. Oh, that's perfect, said Linda with relish. You certainly look like a little king, don't you, King? Yeah, well, Hop shrugged. How had he arrived in this predicament again? Something about boasting in a tavern. We'd best be getting home. Of course, of course. See you in the morning. You know, everyone's going to want pictures of you when I get in tomorrow.
Hop said to the cat once they were safely in the parking lot. He was ignored, the cat simply trotting up to his car and waiting by the driver's side door, sniffing curiously along the tyre. Once Hop got it unlocked, the cat jumped immediately into the passenger seat, examined a chip that had been lost from Hop's lunch, and then ate it, crunching away with those sharp teeth. You really are a cat like this, Hop said to it, amused. You know, usually I have you pegged as a bird. The only response he received was a haughty look. That much he was certainly used to. Once Hop had started driving, the cat crossed over the cup holders and curled into the warmth of Hop's lap. It was small and light enough that it didn't disturb his driving at all. But he did notice that its pelt gave off no animal heat. If there had been any lingering doubts in his mind about who, or rather what, this was, they faded then. I saw your ex the other day, Hop said quietly. She was really nice, honestly. There came no response, verbal or otherwise. You know... Hop struggled for a moment in the red of a stoplight, chewing on his words. You can tell me anything, right? Silence. The cat was so still it didn't even seem to be breathing anymore. Hop thought of all the worst things he had suspected, and then pushed the thoughts away. You don't have to, not if you don't want, but... Here, Hop chanced taking a hand from the steering wheel to rub comfortingly at the ruff of the cat's neck. I'm always here, if you need to talk. A pause. Then, as though a switch had been flipped, the purring started up again. Okay, okay. Hop pet the cats until they reached the new inn, and there it hopped from his lap to lead him up the stairs to his flat. Inside, the apartment was dark. Hop closed the door behind himself, and in that instant the black cat was a cat no more, instead a pale and beautiful man who pushed Hop against the wall and kissed his cheek his throat, his mouth. Whoa there, Hop gasped, and Dream pressed his face into the hollow between Hop's neck and shoulder. Hop's hand ran down his bare back. Nope, no clothing at all. He hadn't even bothered with the conceit of modesty. Perhaps he had forgotten he no longer had fur. What's gotten into you? The cold, Graham whispered, and something in his voice sounded too honest, too desperate for Hop not to see it. 
This wasn't an entirely light-hearted social call. Something in Hobbs' heart twinged, just as it warmed. There was a tenderness beneath the worry. Sensitive, she had called him. Hobb knew it was true. For all their untold power and tempestuous natures, dreams could be fragile things, as lovely and delicate as spun glass. You want me to warm you up? Hop kissed Dream's forehead, cupped his sharp jaw in a palm to bring his mouth up for another. Yeah, I can do that. Dream made a sound into the kiss, low and contented in his throat. Why, it was strange Hop had never noticed it before. He purred like this, too. Sometimes I think I am made of broken glass. As though long ago, so long ago now that none can remember, I was struck by lightning and turned crystal where I stood. There are times when I touch my own skin and feel the fractals moving, each edge sharp enough to cut and thin enough to shatter. Perhaps it has already shattered. Perhaps it is already scattered on dewy stone like a bird's broken bones, receiver of the pellet of a shotgun. Anyone who walks across me will bleed. Or so I believed. I can see the cracks when I hold out my hand. In the skin, in the walls, in the sky. Nowhere is anything whole. There are only the uncountable shards, brittle and serrated and split. There must be a gravity to hold it here must be some central star, something to give, at the very least, the illusion of totality. The others say it is me, perhaps. But on earth there is an art called Kintsugi, Broken pottery returned to shape with molten gold. The people who practice it dream of castles reborn this way. They dream of old lovers and ill-treated hearts with veins of platinum ore, stitching together that 
which was lost and wounded. A world defined by their work, yes, that is what they dream of. What everyone dreams of, I would know. In his arms, I find myself thinking of this art. I think of warm hands pressed gently against lifeless stone. Human fingerprints left behind. That which should be an insult, but for some reason has become a comfort instead. Be careful, I want to say. Don't cut yourself. But the words never quite fully form. I wonder, then, how it is he still knows where all the edges are. Not all the edges. I have made him bleed before, red copper and hot anguish on the rock. Yes, I did make him bleed, at least once, but far less than could be expected. It would be unbearable responsibility for one man to piece together all this ruptured, lifeless pottery, regardless of how warm he is, no matter how patient, how skilled a goldsmith. It is not a task meant for humans. Not a task meant for any one entity. Indeed, I doubt it is a task meant to be completed at all. For broken glass, when broken over and over and over again, becomes sand. I have a function. I still think of it when he kisses me. When I hear him sigh, I feel I am brushed with powdered gold. Like I am a small thing with little weight, cupped sweetly in his palms, held up to the light for examination. A treasure. Is that how he sees me? A treasure? Love, baby, honey, sweetheart, pet, love. He is spent and he holds me. These words whispered to my ear, and though I can feel him beginning to drift, I do not, for once, usher him to my kingdom. It is afternoon in this place, 
and all the city is quiet. Siesta. The air that ripples those gauzy white curtains is warm. Of course, he's warmer. I am encased in his arms. I know he finds me cold to the touch, but he does not pull away. Even in sleep, when a human body should respond only to instinct, I should be frightening to him, my nature should cause him discomfort, but he does not pull away. So peaceful, I never see them like this. I am always waiting on the other side. Was this what you wanted me to learn, sister? I think of dreams of celestial engineers, of science fiction writers, those whose thoughts birth technologies beyond what humans can yet muster. There is an image that comes to mind. The Dyson Sphere, a human metropolis that embraces a star. I will have him dream of this tonight. Perhaps he will understand. But I have duties to attend to. I begin to rise. I begin to lose my form. The shape he so easily calls beautiful. And in the instant he is awake again, or at least nearly, and he clings to me without caution. Beware, I almost say. But still, somehow, nothing pierces him. He holds me, and he remains undamaged. Where you... No, don't go, love. I must. Not yet. Please, just stay a bit, honey. He makes such a sound when I return to him. I do not know that I myself am capable of feeling that kind of joy. That kind of perfect, unfettered contentment. Stay a bit. Yeah, yeah. I wrap my arms around him, and his face rests in the hollow of my throat, the throat of this form, where there is no artery to pulse. But I can feel his heart beating. A heart that has beat triple what it ought to, and triple, and triple again. It is like a drum against my chest, his breath 
the waves of a minute ocean. He is alive. He is so utterly, completely alive. I dream you a great city, I tell him, a murmur in his ear. Built to cradle a star. He is nearly asleep again. The sweat on his skin has settled and cooled. All his muscles turn soft. I can feel his smile pressed to my collarbone. So very human. I love you too, pet. Love you too. And I cannot help it, though it goes against my design, my nature. I cannot stop it. I know I am still fractured edges, mineral instead of flesh, still endless, and yet it happens anyway. I feel so happy when he tells me this. The End That was tough on my voice, but never mind. I hope that was as gorgeous as I imagine it being. Anyway, thank you for listening and enjoy some commentary and bloopers from making this pod. And when they reached the mope... Helicopter! Can't even see it. Perfect blue sky. And I only hear the noise. Dream had always seemed such a solitary entity. The only thing of his nature that Hop had ever encountered. Didn't he meet death when he met Dream for the first time? Never mind. Hop said to the black-furred wolf that black-furred wolf that ble... They locked her away in a cage and they raped her, took what they wanted like it belonged to them. This is supposed to be a scream, but I can't scream in dream. It just doesn't work. It's not how he speaks. The more angry he gets, the more silent he gets. Hop opened the Wikipedia article. Yes, his students were forbidden from using it as a source. And it's not actually forbidden, just won't quote it. <laughs> it's good to get a first overview and often it actually has good citations that you can then go back to. 
Also, if you use Google for anything on a UK university involving student data, you get into Hell's Kitchen because that's not GDPR compliant. But I won't go there right now. This is not one of my lectures. <laughs>